Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sanchez goes after the first one, a fly ball, deep center, and a three-run first inning homer. It's eighth of the season. It's 3-0 Miami here in the first. For sure. Oh, come on. That's a fly ball out toward deep right center, and Gary Cooper connects on a homer. So Adam Wainwright, back-to-back walks. The bases are loaded for Miami without benefit of a hit. He's hit a batter, too, here in the fourth inning. Looks like Ali has made his decision. Romero is ready, and Wainwright's not going to escape the fourth inning. Yeah, he's actually going to travel back home um, at the moment and get further eval. There's physical reasons, and we're going to look at him and uh, have a better sense of what we're dealing with, but he'll be on the I.L. Well, that was Cardinals manager Ali Marmol from yesterday after Adam Wainwright's start against the Miami Marlins. Welcome back, everybody. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. I'm Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, and we've got Grant Francis today as BK is out extending his 4th of July vacation. And frankly, all of us would love to do that. But we come back to great news because not only can you text us on our Air Comfort Service text line, which is 314-399-9646. But now you can watch us. You can see beautiful Tanner's face, Grant Francis, mine, and you can also complain about our faces on yeah. our YouTube whoa, page. Whoa. I was about to say, is that a curse or a blessing? Well, we'll find out. Well, I went to bed early because now I really need beauty sleep. <laughs> Tanner put those cucumbers on his eyes. Yeah. He put a little guacamole on his face. Eyes. A little mask before yeah. you get to bed. Tanner had to make sure he looks good for all of our Look YouTube my beauty now. subscribers. So make sure you check that out on YouTube. We are here today with you Till 2 o'clock, we've got some fun along the way. Luke Korak's going to join us at 1, Katie Wu at 12. But let's start with the Cardinals. And more specifically, we start with the Cardinals' starting pitcher. I know, I heard that, that uh, grunt Thank that you. Grant Francis had. Look, Adam uh, Wainwright, another rough start. And following the previous start where it looked, I mean, Tanner, we talked about it after that start for Adam Wainwright where we said, man, that has to be one of the lowest points of the season for him. We all felt his pain when he walked off that mound. It, it hurt even more yesterday when the Cardinals lost 15-2 to and Adam Wainwright just had really one of his more brutal outings this season, frankly, in his career. Three and a third, seven hits, seven runs. Four of them were earned, two walks, three strikeouts. Couldn't get the strike zone, and when he did, it was 86 miles an hour that they were hitting hard on Adam Wainwright. I didn't think he was going to get through the first inning, but he gets through three and a third. They yank him out of there. The game's pretty much out of reach for the Cardinals' consistent offense, as BK likes to talk about. But then we get the news afterwards 
from Ali Marmol that you just heard on the return saying he's going to be headed to the IL, headed back to St. Louis while the team continues their series against the Miami Marlins. And frankly, this was the direction it was always going to go with Wayno. You knew something had to be done because as much as we all believe that they're just going to keep throwing it back out there every fifth day and throw, even if you're not competing for a playoff spot, which the Cardinals in their insane mind think they still are, you still can't go out there and every fifth start by the second inning, you're down by six, seven runs. So this was the result of Adam Wainwright struggling. It sounds like, at least from what Mo had said on Sunday on Cardinals Radio and with what Ollie was talking about, he's been dealing with discomfort. But now it's hit its end where you had back-to-back starts where you couldn't get through four innings. The game was out of reach. It just, it was inevitable with Adam Wainwright headed to the IL. Yeah, now you have to add the question. I know he said it post-game that, you know, he thinks he's going to be able to return from this. I I don't know. We'll see what this ends up resulting in for Adam Wainwright going back, having a shoulder issue, which he said he's never dealt with before. You you can't help but start to have the question. We had the question last week. It's not like this is a new question being asked with his struggles this year. Is this how it's going to end for Adam Wainwright? Because you're right. I mean, they could not keep throwing him out there. I mean, the Cardinals have basically been uncompetitive in his last four starts because they're not getting quality pitching from Adam Wainwright. So we'll see if this is a injury and that is kind of the causation for the struggles or if this was just Adam Wainwright kind of hitting the end of the road as we like to sing here on the show but <laughs> wondering if he was hitting the end of the road and this is just kind of one of those to where it is hey we, we got to do something yeah he's he's hurt let's put him on the IL reset for a little bit bring him back and hope it ends up being okay because I know a lot of people at least I saw it on Twitter yesterday were very upset how can the Cardinals let him pitch when he's been struggling the last four outings and dealing with general soreness I think it was just as simple as like, yeah, he's sore and it's now a reason to put him on the aisle. I, I don't think it's a made. And again, this is where I hope I'm wrong. I don't know if it's a major injury. That's the reason why he's going on the aisle for his struggles. I think it's just, he's been ineffective. Like it's been the same issue since September of last year. And now they're putting him on the aisle. Cause they've got to try and figure out something else to a fix Adam Wainwright, but B also just help this rotation as the year goes on. So this is what Wayno had to say post game Valley sports Midwest on what he's been dealing with physically. This season, by the way, Adam Wainwright, Valley Sports Midwest. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some shoulder discomfort for a couple weeks now that I thought I was going to get over the hump. I've never had shoulder stuff before, so it's kind of new for me. Um, you know, back is always a thing, but back's all right. Back's way worse last year. I pitched great. So I think more than anything, it's just dealing with some some uh, some shoulder stuff that we're going to look at. And we'll just we'll just see what the doctor has to say. And, and uh plan is to come back strong. I mean, listen, I... I'm either going to come back and pitch great or I'll be a great cheerleader, you know. So, um, but uh, the plan is the first one, you know, the plan is I'm not giving up. So that quote right there, the plan is I'm coming back strong, but if not, I'll be a great cheerleader. And look, anytime a pitcher talks about shoulder problems, you get concerned. But when a 40 year old pitcher starts talking about shoulder problems, you get really concerned. And we, we always say it. Father time is going to catch you. And it just seems like it's catching Adam Wainwright right now. And you're right, T-Bone. If it wasn't the shoulder discomfort, it was the low velocity that we talked about from spring training to the World Baseball Classic to the start of the season where we talked with multiple different people that said, oh, don't worry about that. It's Wayno. He'll find a way to pitch through it. Did a couple of starts, and then you're thinking, okay, maybe you can just navigate through it. You're going to get 4-5 or five ERA. And then it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And now this is it. I hate to say it because I don't want it to happen, but this really might be it for Adam Wainwright. If Waino comes back, I'm not sure you're going to see a lot of starts from Adam Wainwright on this Cardinals team before the end of the regular season. 
yeah, it, it, I, I don't know if you're going to see him for who knows how long. We'll see what the timeline is on it. But it, and now it becomes kind of the trial run for the St. Louis Cardinals to try to figure out what they're going to do. And as we're talking about this from our Cardinals insider series of roster moves, some of these Adam Wainwright, we were expecting we were told he was going on the I.O. He's officially been placed on the I.O. with a right shoulder strain. Dakota Hudson has been recalled. Woo-hoo! The other news that's gone on, Andrew Kisner growing to the I.O. Yvonne Herrera recalled. James Nail oh. option and Zach Thompson recalled. So the Cardinals making a bunch of roster moves here early on this morning before they take on the Miami Marlins later today. Uh, I mean, the biggest one is the Dakota Hudson one getting called up to me for Adam Wainwright. Thompson called up for Nail. One of those two guys is going to take over the role of what James Nail would nail was which was innings eater for the bullpen especially now that it and we haven't heard this from the Cardinals I'm suspecting that we're going to see either Hudson tonight or Steven Matz get a start tonight we'll see what they end up deciding to do but one of those guys is going to be an innings eater for them coming out of the pen I don't expect Zach Thompson to be starting I think he's going to the bullpen to serve as a long reliever for the St. Louis Cardinals at least right now so let's talk about that though because if you're bringing up Zach Thompson if you're bringing up Dakota Hudson this is the start of the trial period for 2024, in my opinion. Now you've got Adam Wainwright, who's going to be on the IL for at least 10 days, maybe longer. Um, Steven Matz went to the bullpen, might be coming out of the bullpen. You've tried Matthew Libertor. You know that Flaherty and Montgomery are pending UFAs. The only one that you know is certain is Miles Michaels, who's pitched well. This is the start for this Cardinals team to figure out what do we got for 2024. Between now and in the all-star break, you're still going to see Flaherty. You're still going to see Montgomery. You're still going to see Michaelis. But those other two spots make it a revolving door of guys who might have a shot at that rotation for next year. So that is Matthew Libertor. That is uh, Zach Thompson. I-, I don't think Dakota Hudson is, despite how much I love the man. But the guys that you're hoping can be in that next year or at least compete for a spot, McGreevy, Graceffo, Here's your opportunity between now and the trade deadline. And guess what? When you move on from Flaherty and Montgomery, if you move on from Flaherty and Montgomery, then you got two more spots to figure out. From now until the end of the season, you better know what you have in your system in terms of starting pitchers so that when free agency opens, you hit the ground running and say, we need three starting pitchers. We need two starting pitchers. Know who is going to be in that rotation by the end of this season. And frankly, now until the trade deadline, you need to be taking advantage of it. Yeah, they're going to have to try and figure out if they have a arm in their system or two that can kind of fill these voids that are going to be created. Look, they're going to have to spend on pitching in the offseason. There's no if and or but about it. They're going to have to go sign some guys. But can you find one guy that can kind of fill one of those spots in your rotation that's why like i look at mats and maybe maybe dakota hudson starts tonight maybe it is thompson i i think they got to go back to steven mats and put him back in the rotation since he's been moved to the bullpen he's been great in 13 and two-thirds innings pitched he's got an era below two so like i I think it's finally time that you look at him and say okay maybe he's figured it out let's throw him back in the rotation let's figure out if our 11 million dollar a year pitcher is a starting pitcher or he's going to be a bullpen arm for us because that's going to affect the offseason for the st louis cardinals and guess what if he gets that start whether it's tonight or any other night between now and then and it goes poorly let's not continue to beat a dead horse and say steven matt's starting pitcher for us steven no it's pretty obvious he has not been able to accomplish what you want as a starting pitcher and he's been a bullpen arm so stop clogging up that opportunity in the rotation that should be going to certain guys that you still are unsure of we might believe matthew libertor isn't ready to be that starting pitcher for this team or can be that starting pitcher 
but I'd like to see enough innings and reps for me to say for certain not happening. Zach Thompson, he was a bullpen arm. Now he's a starting pitcher. Bullpen arm, starting pitcher. Make a decision. Put him in there and say, Zach Thompson, you're going to be a starting pitcher. And from now until the end of the season, it is your role every fifth day. And if you struggle, fine. You're going to keep going back out there because we got to know if you are that for 2024. Yeah, and I, I think the same can be said for a maybe not Graceva because he just got back from an injury, but I, I'm curious to know what they do with McGreevy when the future comes around because I think they are moving Montgomery and Flaherty at the deadline. I To me, Steven Matz is the one that, that kind of pivots things because if, if Matz is a starter, then you know for sure you've got Michaelis and Matz in your rotation going into next season. If he's not, well, then we're talking about four spots in the rotation that need to be filled. And maybe that is where someone like a Thompson that you're talking about, or maybe Hudson, but I don't think Hudson has got a future hey. here in St. Louis. Sorry, man. You know, he looked great in this outing against the Yankees. Outside of that, though, he's not been good, you know, the rest of his tenure here in St. Yeah, Louis. Let's be honest. Not a so, whole lot of guys looked good against the Yankees. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, I, I, I think that's where they're going to have to come down to is, can, do they have somebody that they feel is ready? Because if not, I mean, look, adding two starting pitchers is going to be expensive enough. You're talking about four guys. Where the heck are the St. Louis Cardinals going to get that kind of money for to spend on? And I know the text line now that I just said is going to go. You hear this? Yeah, what's That's that? the world's smallest violin. Well, I don't hear anything, you so could've... it's not working. <laughs> well, it's real small. You could have you could have addressed that the last two off-seasons. Now you got to do four spots in one off-season. Figure it out. That's what you're going to have to do if you think you're in this winning window. As my guy Craig Button would say, that's a GM's job. Speaking of that, a GM's job is to be aggressive in free agency, or at least that's what Tan believes did Doug Armstrong not do his job over this weekend we'll discuss that next on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN we're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN lost it the Blues break out two on one shorthanded up ice Sanford Saucers, McEachern, the score! A shorthanded goal! First shorty of the season for the Blues, and McEachern tucks it in! Why are we playing a Mackenzie McEachern highlight, you might ask? Well, because that was the Blues' big free agent signing over the weekend. Mackenzie McEachern coming home. That was from 2021, the year that he scored one goal, and it was a a shorthanded goal. Welcome back in BK and Ferrario. That was Chris Kerber on the call. Mackenzie McEachern, one of very few free agents that the St. Louis Blues signed in the offseason, which started on Saturday, was Mackenzie McEachern, a couple of AHL defensemen, and then Malcolm Subban, uh, the goaltender who's been in the NHL and the AHL. The name sounds familiar because he's PK Subban's brother. Don't forget about Tyler Tucker. Tyler Tucker, a two year, one way contract, which now the Blues have eight of those guys under contract. Quantity over quality. Basically stating that there's not a lot going on for the Blues in this offseason. But frankly, it's not surprising. Doug Armstrong said this at the trade deadline. Doug Armstrong said this at the start of the offseason, right before the draft, and then kind of knuckled down after the draft by stating that, look, we're not going to be very aggressive in the offseason because, frankly, the free agents don't really match what the need is for the St. Louis Blues. They tried to take their big swing at Philadelphia to acquire Kevin Hayes and Travis Sanheim, maybe more. Didn't work. He just got Kevin Hayes. We all know that's the Tory Krug narrative. So, Doug Armstrong talking about what's left to do for the Blues to accomplish this roster. We wanted uh, nine. Uh, we wanted a top nine forward. We did. Uh, as I said earlier to you guys today, I, I know our defense gets a lot of... Uh, 
uh, scrutiny from from uh, the media. Uh, but we need them to play the back to their the best of their capability, and uh, that that's our focus now for the for to get into training camp. Now, if anybody's listening right now or watching on YouTube, our YouTube page, you know that Doug Armstrong says things, and then the next day he pulls off a trade for a Justin Falk. So this could change. You think we're getting a defenseman's day? Is that what you're saying? I, I would love that, especially somewhere between now and 2 o'clock. It would be fantastic. Although the fast lane would love to break that down from 2 to 6. But it does seem like this free agency, this offseason, is done for the St. Louis Blues. They just wrapped up prospect camp. You've got Kevin Hayes. Doesn't seem like you're going to be moving many defensemen. Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast today just said that he expects it to be quiet for the Blues from now until the start of the season. So if that's where it is, T-Bone... Your thoughts? Kind of disappointing. If I'm not, if I'm being honest with you, I, I I understand that the Blues were in this retool and that this was going to be kind of a quiet free agency spending period for them. Like that, that I totally understand, and we all agree in this room that they should not have probably gone out there and given out any of those contracts that we saw that were handed out in free agency this past Saturday, including the Ryan O'Reilly deal, like was given to him in Nashville. But it, it still feels like a disappointing offseason for the St. Louis Blues, in my opinion. And and the reason for that is more so based on the rumor mill of what they were connected to and the feeling that it was they were going to be aggressive and they were going to reshape the defense by acquiring Sandheim from Philadelphia. And look, I understand that deal fell through. Tory Krug using his right as a player to reject that trade with his no trade clause. But it feels almost like there was no plan B for the St. Louis Blues and that they're now going into an off going into the season and they're going to be with the same defensive core that was bad this year. And I, I don't think they marginally improved enough this offseason. I, I think the Western Conference is open for them to where if they made one move and are able to retool this defense to where they can get back into the playoff picture, not go on, go on to win a cup, not be one of the top Stanley Cup contenders, be a team that I feel like is a lock to be potentially into the postseason. And I, I don't think they're there right now. I, I think when you look at the move, look, I like the Kevin Hayes trade. I like what they brought in with him, especially with 50% retained for the next three years left on that deal. They improved offensively. But I still think that there's some something missing from the defense. I, I When you look at Hayes, great offensive numbers. We, you can see in his analytics, not a great defensive player. Well, that ties in with Verana, who's not known for his defense. Jordan Cairo, who's not known for his defense. And a team that struggled with their, de- with their blue line last season. So... Sure, maybe they improved a little bit offensively. I don't see them also addressing the power play. Maybe it gets a little bit better with Kevin Hayes. I don't think the PK has been addressed right now. And returning with the same blue line feels kind of disappointing. Like, if if this is Doug Armstrong's offseason, I think I would grade it at a C-plus right now because I, I don't think he improved the D-line. I was just going to ask that. I, I, don't think, I don't think they're marginally better right now. And, and look, I understand they're in a retool, but I— but when you get connected to Sandheim, it makes me think you're going to be more aggressive than what we've seen so far. Grant, how would you grade it if it were to end this way? Kevin Hayes and that's it. I think for me, if you're disappointed by this offseason, I would say that it's probably a result of your expectation level going into it. Because I think so far, this is on par for what you should have expected going into this offseason. In fact, I'm surprised that the Kevin Hayes thing even came about because you know, Doug Armstrong said at the end of the year that they're looking for younger players, that age range of like 25 to 28. And Kevin Hayes is not that. So even the Kevin Hayes thing is a little bit unexpected for what we expected coming into this offseason. What I remember going back to the end of the season, what Doug Armstrong said is that if you're comparing it to football, they're at the 50 yard line looking to move into the offensive zone in terms of where they're at in this rebuild. The attempt to go out and get Travis Sanheim and trade Tory Krug that was a play to get yourself halfway to the goal line 
and it fell through. It didn't work. So, you know, Doug Armstrong is addressing that the defense is not where they would like it to be, but there's only so much you can do at this point going into this offseason after Doug Armstrong kind of tied his own hands with the no trade clauses that he gave to these players on the defensive side of the puck. So where I'm at with this offseason in particular, I'd give him an average B because yeah. where you're coming into it, the Kevin Hayes thing is more than I thought was going to happen. I wasn't expecting much out of free agency. By the way, someone from the text line, uh, I've lost the text. I think it was from the 314. but it was probably negative. No, actually, someone someone asked if they see going out and getting Oscar man, Sundquist. Weekend, man, come on. Yeah. Uh, so the Sundquist thing would be very intriguing. And look, if if I were to put money on it, I'd say 50-50. I think the fact that he's not signed right now tells me he's looking for a better offer than, what, than what's on the table. Uh, to me, it could seem like a Pat Maroon thing where – Maroon wanted to sign in St. Louis back in 2018. Yeah. They didn't have the money. They, Doug basically told them, wait to see if the money works. And then they called him right before the start of the season. They made it work. I could see that happening, but I also know that the Blues want some of these younger guys to get an opportunity. And does that mean Sunquist is taking over? I'm kind of on the same page as Grant here. I'm not going to give him an A because that would be disingenuous of me. It's not an A. I'd give him a B, though, because, frankly, in the terms of not going into free agency and signing any of those people, A++. Because all of those players were overpaid. As much as I loved Ryan Graves, no way am I going a four-year deal worth four and a half, five million dollars with a no-trade clause. I'm not doing that. None of those guys are game changers. And frankly, you can't do that unless you ship somebody out. And to me, it's exactly what Doug talked about on that cut we played on the return and what we talked about this offseason. He had the opportunity in front of him to take a big swing, and he tried. You tried to go for Travis Sanheim and Kevin Hayes and whomever else was in it, and you almost offloaded Tory Krug's contract. Basically, what Doug was trying to accomplish was, we're, we're not going to blow up the defense just to blow up the defense. We're going to get somebody that we deem better than who we're trading away. And you didn't get it done. And there's nobody else available right now, with the exception of Noah Hannafin, that that can work. But here's the key in it all. You can't make it work unless you're putting Tory Krug the other direction, and that's not happening. Now, maybe he could have done option B, option C, option D, Tanner, but now we've learned they don't they don't deem Pareko and Falk tradable. David Pagnota told us that at the draft. Nick Letty were surprised that they didn't approach him to move his no-trade clause, but they didn't, which, if you're going to go process of elimination here, doesn't seem like they want to move on from him. Sure, you can move on from Marco Scandella, but let's be honest about Marco Scandella for a minute. I would say he's more of an asset than a a problem for your team. Yeah, he's not a problem for me. It's he, just he never he's, has not, been. he's not healthy. Yep. And then you get to the Bortuzzo. Sure, trade away Bortuzzo. It's not doing much for you. Frankly, he's better off here than he would be elsewhere because it seems like he's at least a veteran for you, and you've got Tucker and your Perutovic. It's pretty obvious what Doug is doing. If the trade is not there that makes us better, then we're going to stick with who we've got. And guess what? They don't view themselves as a Stanley Cup contender. Doug has said that. What they do view them as, if our guys who had a bad season, Letty, Pareko, Krug, few of the forwards, then we can put ourselves in the conversation of making the playoffs. And if we don't, then we're right back to square one, and we're still in this blueprint that we did. To me, Kevin Hayes was a different entity than everything else this offseason. Kevin Hayes was supposed to be a part of a package, but they needed the center. They needed a veteran. This was the maturity effect. Now it seems like if they don't have the defenseman in front of them, they're not going to move it. And the team that I thought of immediately when we were talking about this, Tanner, was following the 2020-2021 season, that shortened season, Dallas missed the playoffs. The year prior, they went to, that was the bubble year, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Like a final. They missed the playoffs the next year. You know what they did in the offseason? Nothing. 
They signed Ryan Suter, who was bought out by Nashville. That was their big signing. And now they're about, or at least talking well, about buying him out. Mackenzie McKechnie That's signing. Kevin Hayes. That's essentially a Kevin Hayes deal. The other moves that they made, they signed Hockenpah, who's a third-pairing defenseman. They signed Glenn Denning, who's a fourth-liner, and a couple of other guys who were in the minors for them. And Dallas, the next year, made the playoffs and went on some type of run. So what I'm saying is, Doug, I don't compare the same run to the Blues in Dallas, but Doug is betting everything on his defense being better. And if they're not, then you have to approach that in the offseason again. See, I, I think they're making the same mistake that the St. Louis Cardinals made coming into the season. And look, I supported the Cardinals' decision to run it with this rotation. Now that I have 20-20 hindsight, man, they needed to make an addition in the offseason. But I, I think they're making the same mistake in terms of betting on, on what the Cardinals did with the rotation and saying they, these are our guys. Even though everybody on the outside was screaming, look, what are you talking about? You need to go add somebody. I think the Blues are doing the same mistake with the defensive core. I, I don't see it getting better. I, I think what the defensive core is is what it was last year. And I think they were kind of covered up in, and look, I know they had a good year two years ago and they, they could have beaten Colorado if Bennington doesn't get hurt. I think they were covered up by the fact that there were nine twenty goal scores and Bennington bailed them out in that playoff series until he got hurt. So I, I think looking at this team, and I understand what you're saying. For you have to, If you're going to make this kind of move, whether it's getting Hannafin or going out and improving the defense elsewhere, you've got to move money out. Out. Like Craig Button said, that is a GM's job. And I, I thought for sure when he had had they not been connected to Sandheim, maybe that changes everything in how I view the offseason. If they just acquire Kevin Hayes and they sign with Kenji McEachern and they're never connected to uh Sandheim, maybe I'm sitting here going, Yeah, that's a good offseason. You know what? They weren't as they said they weren't going to be aggressive. They said they were just gonna kind of do the little things and kind of go along in this retool. They're two, three years from being contenders. But the moment he got connected to Sandheim told me that he wanted to turn this thing around quickly and quicker than what we were and expecting. And if he would have pulled that trade off, we would have been saying Doug Armstrong is a legend. But it wasn't Doug Armstrong that it's not like Philly turned down the trade. It was the player that you tried to trade with a no trade clause that nixed it. And that was a Doug Armstrong move. And now I think he realizes if Tory Krug not only and this is the report from Jeremy Rutherford, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe I heard it elsewhere. But the report was like Tory Krug didn't just nix. Oh, no, this was Elliot Freeman that put it out. He didn't just nix it to Philly. He nixed being traded. So if that you was the find guy. your pivot. But there is no pivot because you've got three well, then, other guys then, with no trade then clauses. Then it's a bigger conversation than just the offseason the, of Army putting himself in this spot. But the pivot for Doug Armstrong, at least what he's saying with this, is we're going to go with offense because you've got a lot of it right now. Defense needs to step up. And if they don't. Then we're going to address this the next offseason. And you know what the next offseason holds? One, you're taking about $10 million off of your salary cap with pending UFAs, Kapanen, Verana, Blay, and then Scandella and Robert Portuzo. And you're also getting in a bump four to $5 million in the salary cap. This, this was more about not being able to wiggle around contracts than this was not being willing to overhaul your team. If they don't get it done this year in terms of making the playoffs and seeming improvement, then that's when I can see the defense really being overhauled because now he's got more wiggle room, the ability to bring people in. Now you've got trade assets. But on the flip side of that, with those UFAs, some of that comes down to your younger players taking a step into a bigger role. Maybe not this year, but next year, definitely. Doug's banking on that. And after this prospect camp that a lot of fans and myself and Grant Francis saw at Centene, it seems like the Blues might be closer than we're giving them credit for. So we're going to discuss that next year on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We just put our poll up, our first official BK and Ferrario poll up on our YouTube page at 101 ESPN STL. So make sure you go subscribe. Make sure you watch because our beautiful faces are here until 2 o'clock. And vote on the poll so that we could show Tanner he was wrong. How would you grade Whoa. Doug Armstrong's don't, don't, off season? Don't like lean into the audience. You're oh, not, no, I'm swaying the I votes want here. Their actual no, vote. I'm I don't swaying the votes sway. here. Who do you like more, me and Grant or Tanner? Would That's you give it an easy. A, B, C, D? You don't D, want me to start that poll. Or you want to go real? Real bad and give them that F. So go subscribe to our YouTube page and then vote on our poll and uh, we'll give you the results of that as we go along here today. But there's another side of the blues that I wanted to talk about. And frankly, it's the more positive side because maybe you are down about Doug Armstrong's offseason where he did make a lot of moves and you are stuck with this defense, but you're a little optimistic about the forwards. But then the optimism even grew when you were out, if you were out at Centene for this prospect camp uh, from Saturday up until yesterday. Uh, they had it four days. Yesterday they wrapped up with the scrimmage. It had guys like Snuggerud and Bolduke and their first-round picks this year with Stenberg and Lindstein and then, of course, Dalibor Dvorsky. But this was Tim Taylor following the camp, talking with the media about this group of prospects. Tim Taylor, the director of player development for the Blues. I don't think we've ever had, since I've been here, the talent that we have in the ice in these development camps. Um, the pace has been great. Really for us, uh, getting to know these kids too, getting an introductory to our organization and to getting to see them on the ice and see what they can do with the puck. Uh, again, we don't put too much stock into it, but again, we kind of get to see what their ceiling is going to be as a player. Now, I know what everybody's thinking because Tanner's thinking and I could see it on his little face. Well, of course, Tim Taylor's going to say that. He says that every year. No, yeah, he yeah. actually doesn't. Uh, I went back and listened to know. a couple of Tim Taylor things, and I've been in those scrums before. To hear him say that, I've heard him talk about the excitement for certain prospects, whether it was Jordan Cairo or whether it was Robert Thomas. I heard that, but not heard him say the prospect pool. That's the part that really grasped me. And I was only there one day. Grant was out there a couple of days and we're going to be joined by Luke Korak at one. But seeing Dalibor Dvorsky, seeing Zachary Dean in a short sample size, seeing Zachary Bolduke, his snuggerud, if one thing has changed my expectations for this Blues team, it's we might be undervaluing what they have in their pool. Now, I, 
I would say if I were given the over-under of one and a half of how many guys are a part of this NHL roster this season, I'd probably take the under. I think you're going to get one, maybe Zachary Dean, maybe Zachary Bullduke. Uh, Dean can't even find his stuff. I don't well, know, that's man. true. He couldn't get his he, – apparently his skates didn't work. Wasn't out there for a couple of days. <laughs> but next year, and that's where I think it's really important, next year is when these guys should be contributing to the roster – and some people would put a three-year timeline on it. I think two years might be it. I think next year you could be some of these guys contributing because that's how effective at least they seem from Tim Taylor and from people that were in the stands. See, and that's what's interesting, too, because we talk about the Blues when they look to be competitive. It's going to be in that two- to three-year time frame. So that's when all of these prospects are starting to really blossom and hit their potential. Dalibor Dvorsky at these camps was a mile ahead of everybody else. He was unreal. The potential of this kid, I am super excited for what Dalibor Dvorsky could be. Every part of his game is miles ahead of everybody else. He's got a ton of skill. He was pulling off plays like he had a backhand roof top shelf that looked like Patrick Kane with a defenseman draped all over him. Patrick Kane, Tanner. And I'm great. Now another cop we're going to be looking back on in three years. Let's put this little asterisk on this. Um, no, 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 no. Quoted, no, you said Kane. July asterisk. 5th of 2023 at 11.40 a.m., yeah. Grant Francis says Dalibor Dvorsky will become Patrick Kane. No, that's fine, because when, when he pulls this off in the NHL, I'll make sure to pull that. <laughs> oh, so don't thank worry. you, Tanner. Um, he is doing this against other prospects. Right. So you're not going to really know what these guys can do against NHL caliber players until maybe, maybe training camp or preseason. And who knows if these players will even be at training camp because not all of them make it to training camp. But it will be really interesting to see some other standouts that I noticed this weekend. Theo Lindstein was a big one for me. Alex Petrangelo. Yeah. Now, I don't know if I'm going Alex Petrangelo. I'd say Carl yeah, Gunnarsson. Got a goalie in there in prospect yeah. camp or no? Hey, Vadim Jarenko could oh, be. See that guy? He looked Patrick good. Wah, yeah. man. Um, We're going to be great. <laughs> no, Theo Lindstein is exactly what this team is lacking right now. And again, another asterisk. This is not going to be an immediate fix. He's not coming yeah, up to he's the big long term in yes, this. Yeah. This is three to four years, but he looked really good. I, I call him Carl Gunnarsson with more offensive upside. That's what he reminds me of because he's so solid. I didn't see him make one mistake this weekend uh, during the scrimmages and all that. He was so solid and just when when he was on the ice, the other team could not get anything done. And that was even they did a two on two for a few minutes. And in their side had the puck in the offensive zone pretty much the whole time. They didn't get a shot on goal. So he was just shut down. And there are prospects like Dean and maybe even Bolduc. I have some concerns about him on the defensive side. But these players are developing, and it's good to see that their game is progressing. Yeah, and I will say this, too. You know, you mentioned the Dalbor Dvorsky and his impressive camp, and you comped him to Patrick Kane. Mm -hmm. Look, I— Though it is a very small sample size, just four days of him being on the ice at Prospects Camp. And again, like you said, he's going up against Prospects, now he's going up against yeah. NHLers at uh, training camp. It's a good sign to see D- Dvorsky had a really good Prospects Camp because I, I remember talking with Army at the draft, and, and he's even said this multiple times before the draft, of a number 10 overall pick can be a guy that can kind of change or speed up the retool and be a guy that you expect instead of being here in three years, potentially in two years. Mm-hmm. And to hear that Dvorsky got off to such a great start at Prospects Camp, that's encouraging if you're a Blues fan. To know that that number 10 overall pick, you're not hearing things like, eh, you know, it's just an okay Prospects Camp for him. Because you hear that, you start to go, oh boy, that that's not the guy that we kind of were hoping for. The fact that he had a great start, and again, take it with a grain of salt. 
It's good to see, though, that the yeah. number 10 overall pick comes into prospect camp and is able to wow everybody. All I saw on social media this weekend for that four-day prospect camp was, well, every time Dvorsky's on the ice, something happens. Mm-hmm. And that's a good sign for him to see in his first prospect camp with the Blues. And here's what I'll say. Look, it's a trajectory through this offseason. So you get prospect camp, you accomplish that. The next step is you're going to be sending these guys to typically they do Traverse City. They're not doing that anymore. It's going to be like a four-team tournament with Chicago and Detroit and Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. And that's going to be where you're playing against other teams' prospects. Then you get another taste of it. Training camp is where you really get that. Because Zachary Bolduke had very impressive prospect camps. Last year in his training camp, it was not impressive. And I think he was gone after the first preseason game. So that's where you get it. But I would tell fans listening and watching on our YouTube page, Snuggaroon, we all know, very highly touted. Bolduke's got the offense, unsure about the defense. Zachary Dean, Dalibor Dvorsky. Those four guys are going to be impactful for this trajectory of the Blues. The bigger question is what Tanner brought up to us in the office. None of those guys are defensemen. And Grant, you brought up Theo Theo Lindstein, Alex Petrangelo. He was good. There's the guy that I'm super high on. He wasn't at prospect camp because, frankly, he's going to be competing either in the NHL or AHL. Leo Loof. Too good for prospect camp. Too good for prospect camp. Or he's just been pro for so so long. (laughs) Um, and then you've got a couple of other guys. We talked about it at the draft, how excited we were about the Paul, Fish, Paul Fisher and Mayich. This is the thing, though. You've got a lot of second and third pair defensemen. You don't have the top pair defensemen. Might be a problem for some people, but you just haven't had this luxury. Now, if you're bad again and you're selecting in the top 10 and there's a defenseman there for you this next offseason, well, there you go. But my expectation for the Blues is, You've got your guys, you're combining the Parecos and the Falks and however you deem the other players. The other way to do that and to upgrade the defenses with the splash via trade or free agency, not happening this year, it doesn't seem, but in the next couple of years, that might be the fast-paced way to do this. And and that's what I was just going to mention is, though, yes, they are, they seem very heavy in terms of their top-end prospects being forwards right now. And and we even talked about this last week when... uh, I remember who it was that tweeted out, you know, all oh, the Blues, they don't take the draft seriously. Oh, yeah. They just my guy all Gabe these, Foley. Yeah, they just draft left-handed, Poor left-shot Gabe. defensemen. Well, they're taking the best available player. And this is where, to your point, though, yes, they are heavy on top forwards right now, they can always trade from that depth of prospects to go get a defenseman if they find one that they like. If yeah. Noah Hannafin, for example, became available, and again, I don't, th- don't think it's happening this year, but if he became available and Calgary was looking for kind of a reset and wanted more prospects than they did NHL-ready players, well, the Blues have forwards that they could send out. They could do that for any defenseman potentially that they want. Look at the Dominic Bach trade. Five years say, ago, he was Falk. drafted in the first round in 2018. What did they do? A year later, they flipped him for Justin Falk. So, yes, they don't have a top-end defenseman that's a prospect that's there. Maybe Lindstein pans out. Maybe Loof pans out. We'll see. But if they feel like there's someone that's on the NHL market that they really like, they've got the depth in their prospect pool to go get them. So you don't necessarily need a prospect to be a defenseman. Well, and here's the other thing, too. The fact that the salary cap is not bumping up big time until next year, two years after that, the fact that the Blues are going through this right now, this is the best time to be going through this because all the best teams right now are spending as much as they can and signing these free agents and, you know, signing them to as long term as they can to still be competitive within these years. But what's going to happen is they're not going to have as much flexibility as the Blues will in two to three years Mm -hmm. when there are these free agents to go out and sign them when the Blues are trying to be competitive. So you're going to have a team that 
is going to have a little bit of more flexibility with the cap once it starts to go up. And there's your opportunity to really accelerate your retool and get competitive again. Right in the window that Doug said, two to three years. That's what he's talking about. And we'll see if that continues that way. Hey, make sure you go to our YouTube page and uh, vote on our poll. The grade that you would give Doug Armstrong's offseason it were if there were no other moves. It's at 101 ESPN SDL on YouTube. And, of course, you've got our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Send us your questions because we've got answers next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line, but you can also ask your questions on our YouTube page at 101 ESPN STL as we are live. You can chat. We've got a poll up where we want you to vote if Doug Armstrong, what grade he would get if the offseason were to be completed. So vote, watch, and then send us your questions. 314-399-9646. We'll have Katie Wu on the other side, Tanner Hendrickson, Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's start with this one from the 314. Fellas, you were talking about the depth of defense and the Blues minor league system, but is there that much of a difference in terms of left-handed defensemen to right-handed defensemen? Um, So I don't know the exact number. Uh, My good buddy Gabe Foley on Twitter, after I um, had to do a little back and forth with him, he said they had 17 left-handed defensemen in their system, which I don't think that's true because some guys they didn't sign like Witherspoon and uh, a couple of others they did not sign. Here's the thing. You've got a lot more left-handed defensemen than right-handed defensemen. Right now, probably you have two or three right-handed defensemen in your system. But to me, that doesn't matter because two right-handed spots on your defense are locked in for the next six plus years. Falk and Pareko. You're not moving on from them. They've made it very clear. So you've got one other right-handed defenseman spot. And let's be honest. Guys can go back and forth with it. Tyler Tucker played on the right side. Can move him to the left side. That one's not as important. Frankly, you've got three open spots on the left side. Uh, Even though you've got two guys under contract, it's obvious they're not very happy with how it's gone. That's the part that matters. And that's why you overload with certain guys in your minor league system. Yeah, to your point, I I don't think it really matters in terms of what the big number is. Because again, once you start getting to that NHL level and you say we're missing a right-handed defenseman, we really don't have one in the system, you can always trade for where you have a strength at. And that could be forwards. Maybe you have forward prospects like the Blues have now to where they go get an NHL caliber player that would be ready to go. Uh, so I, I don't think it's a major issue. And again, those splits, like you said, like some of those defensemen, would they prefer to be playing off on their offside? Probably not, but like they could if they had to. It, it's not the end of the world for the St. Louis Blues. From the 636, fellas, if this is the Adam Wainwright, how will he be remembered in St. Louis and in baseball? I I, I don't think this season changes how he's remembered. I, I think when you look at Adam Wainwright, you're always going to remember him as the guy that closed out the 2006 World Series and one of the best Cardinals starting pitcher, if not the best Cardinals starting pitcher in kind of this generation of Cardinals baseball, maybe behind like Chris Carpenter. But outside of that, I don't think anybody in the 2000s has been better than Adam Wainwright. So I I don't think this last season is going to affect how Adam Wainwright is remembered. I I think you're just going to look back on it and probably will forget about it at some point when he goes into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. You'll remember all the great times and how great he was as a starting pitcher and 
being a World Series champion, and then you'll go back and look at his baseball reference page and you go, oh, yeah, I, I remember I remember that last year. It was tough for him. It's Father a, Time finally caught up. Yeah, it's a little different than this situation, but, like, how do you remember Vladimir Tarasenko and his time in St. Louis? Like, you don't remember the last two years where he wanted out and he wanted a trade like you remember him winning a Stanley Cup you remember all the years where he scored all those goals and was one of the best goal scorers in Blues history like you don't remember the bad in the last season where things didn't go exactly how you wanted and the fact that he wanted out of St. Louis like you don't remember that you remember the good and that's going to be the same with Adam yeah, Wayne, you're right? living in the moment right now yeah. the moment sucks it, it sucks for Cardinals fans because you don't want to see a guy like Adam Wainwright who's been such a pivotal piece to the team's success over the years go through this but as soon as he says that this is it this is my last start or if it's the last start when the season ends you're going to forget all about that and you're going to remember everything else and that's adam wainwright's legacy and frankly in major league baseball i don't think that's this is going to have every starting pitcher goes through this unless they call it a career before this happens yeah and it's a different scenario too because he ended up hitting 700 home runs last year but Remember, Albert Pools were hitting below 200 before the All-Star break and almost decided to retire. Yeah. If Albert Pools would have retired at the All-Star break or would have struggled throughout the year and didn't even reach 700 home runs as a Cardinal, were you going to view him any differently? I, I don't think so. You probably would remember it as, you know, it was fun when Albert was back. It didn't go the way the Cardinals had hoped in his final year, but he was still the best player in Cardinals history in the early 2000s, the best player in baseball winning multiple MVPs. So it, the end can suck, like, to your point, it can suck. Father time can catch up to the, some of the greatest players of all time. But that, it's not going to change your view on Adam Wayne. You're always going to remember what he was like in his prime. And when he was in his prime, he was one of the best pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. Final one from the 314. Then we're going to get to Katie Wu on the other side. Fellas, I feel like I'm living a roller coaster ride with City SC. They get a, sh- uh, a shutout in their previous match. They lose a couple games, win a couple games. How should I be feeling about this team? First of all, clean sheet, Alex. Come on. Uh, sorry, I'm not clean the, uh, sheet. Look, I'm not the. He's still working on his vocabulary. Yeah, I'm still working on my soccer vocab. Listen, okay. hammer that one down next time, okay? Hammer that one-timer in the back of the net, little nifty top shelf. <laughs> Wrong sport. I'm with Where mommy sport. keeps the cookies. Wrong <laughs> Wrong sport. <laughs> uh, but Just it, answer the damn question, okay? I, I almost forgot what the damn question was. <laughs> but no, I I understand what you're saying. I, I think they're still one of the best teams in the Western Conference. I think the reason it's been a roller coaster right now for cities because they're dealing with injuries. I was like, just going to say that, too. Klaus is out. He's still out. Uh, Lewin's been out. Um, defensively, they've been shaky, but I think they've been shaky defensively all year long. But those are two of their best players that are dealing with injuries right now. And they found a recent spark with some of the lineup changes that they have recently made, adding a Denneran back into the top. He got to start again uh, this weekend. Also on defense, I'm trying to blank on his name, but I love the way he plays. Give me just a second here. But they've made a couple of great changes. Yarrow. Yarrow's been great since he's been in the lineup for the last two games. Jackson's been good. And he's been in the lineup the last two games. So they're finally finding guys that can kind of fill in these replacements and these injuries that they've been dealing with. But the reason it's been a roller coaster was one, they were searching for answers with Lewin and uh, Klaus out, and now I think they've got it. So I do think they're going to get back to playing back to that level that you were expecting that you saw early on in the year. I agree with you. I think it's actually super impressive what St. Louis has been able to do with those two players out, specifically Klaus. Like, you look at some of the other teams around the league, like take Nashville SC, for example, who's one of the better teams in the league. 
Mukhtar, their best scorer, has scored 13 goals this season. Their next highest scorer has scored four goals this season. Like, you take class, Klaus out, and St. Louis is able to still be competitive and win games. You take Mukhtar out, and they really have nothing. So, like, the fact that St. Louis has been able to tread water and stay atop of the Western Conference, I think, tells you everything you need to know about how this team has handled these injuries. Yeah, to me, this is pretty simple. I look at this, and I say, yeah, they're a really good team. We'll figure it out when we get to the postseason. Because it seems like they're going to be making the postseason. They're still atop the standings in their division. So what did I pronounce it? Is it not standings? Tell them or should I tell them? I didn't hear it, to be honest. No, he said Say standings. They're on top of the table. I think I said standings, too. So, Alex, God. I'll give you that one. Oh, come with, on, I'll guys. I'm with this. Sorry. We're better than this On top of the table, underneath the bed, inside the closet. It doesn't matter. Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She's coming up next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, no BK today. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, and we are live on our YouTube page where you can head there now at 101 ESPN STL. You can chat with us. You can put the poll vote on your grade of Doug Armstrong's offseason. And now we welcome in Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. We just pushed our therapy session over to one more day, two more days, I guess. Now, I don't even know what day it is right now. Katie, I'm sure you're feeling the exact same way. How are you? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on, what day it is, what month it is. I just wake up, and I feel like many Cardinals fans can can uh, relate to this. I wake up expecting to see a different product on the field, and the product only gets worse. What an absolutely dreadful start to this series here in Miami for the St. Louis Cardinals, and it only got worse with the news that both Adam Wainwright and Andrew Kisner hitting the IL yesterday. Yeah, amen to that, Katie. Let's start with Waino. I mean, it's been tough to watch, not just from his performance when he's on the mound the last couple of starts, but just his reaction when he walks off the mound. It does look like a defeated individual in Adam Wainwright. Sounds that way as well. What are your anticipations in terms of Wayno post IL stint? Sure. So let's let's clarify a couple things about Wainwright's IL. You know, I wasn't in Miami, so I wasn't there for the press conference or the post game scrum with both Ollie and Adam. But talked to Ollie Marmel this morning. So Adam Wainwright has flying home back to St. Louis, um, and the the thing that the team and Adam are trying to figure out is 
this is something that Adam has pitched through before. You know, every pitcher is going to pitch through some kind of shoulder tightness or soreness. That's something that every athlete does. You know, there are aches and pains throughout the whole season. So Adam's pitched through this kind of pain before. He's just been able to have, obviously, much better results. And you know Adam is the ultimate team player. He is not going to continue to go out there and pull together the, the starts that he has over the last three outings that ultimately don't give his team a chance to win at all. So he thought best, and so did the team, to go back, get an evaluation, figure out why he can't uh, pitch through this kind of soreness this time, why he has no finish on his pitches, and hopefully once they're able to kind of reset, use the all-star break, be able to come back and have the kind of second half that I think every Cardinal wants him to have or every Cardinal fan wants him to have and every Cardinal fan just thinks he deserves. I mean, I think what has been so hard to watch about Adam's last three starts is exactly that. It's his demeanor. Um, Alex, I think you pointed out pretty well. It's hard to see such an organization legacy, a clubhouse leader, someone who does everything for the city of St. Louis and has just been a great Cardinal go out like that. And um, I think this break here for Adam to really evaluate, maybe rest his shoulder, find some finish to his pitches will hopefully ideally make the Cardinals second half a little better to watch. And Katie, with Wayno going on the IL, a series of roster moves today and two pitchers were recalled. Dakota Hudson, Zach Thompson up. What do you expect their roles be? And especially with Zach Thompson, because he started the year with the Major League Club as a reliever, then sent down to build up as a starter, and now he's back up. What do you expect both those players' roles to be with the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah, great question. And, you know, we'll, we'll start with Zach Thompson because I think he's been, he's been a little jerked around this season in terms of coming up in spring training and saying he was going to be a high leverage reliever. So he really limited his arsenal to just the fastball, uh, curveball, two-pitch arsenal, right? Then things go sideways in April for everybody. They decide, the organization decides, okay, let's have Zach go to AAA and become a starter again. So he expands his arsenal to a four-pitch arsenal, reintroduces the changeup, reintroduces the cutter, We saw the results in AAA. They were not good. He has over a 9 ERA and 10 starts. Now he's back, and both Thompson and Hudson are kind of in the patchwork role. Uh, The Cardinals can use them both as a starter, as a reliever, depending on what they need. Matthew Libertor will start for the Cardinals today. But going forward, the Cardinals are just kind of packing some guys together and hoping they can get to the all-star break and reset. So there aren't designated roles for Dakota Hudson or Zach Thompson. I mean, they're, they're stuff in AAA wasn't lights out. I think with Thompson, it's a little more understandable given how much he's had to add and subtract to his arsenal over the span of nine months. That's really hard to make those adjustments in real time. But the Cardinals don't have designated roles for Dakota or for Zach Thompson. It's more or less what do they need from these guys just to get them through the all-star break. Talking with Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. You could follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Katie, I'm going to read this comment from Michael K. just in case listeners have not heard it or seen it, talking about Wilson Contreras, and then I'd like your thoughts on it. This is from Michael K., the play-by-play broadcaster for the Yankees. Quote, I found out something. I was talking to a lot of the Cardinal people. The reason that they took Contreras out from behind the plate, he was calling pitches that the pitcher on the mound didn't have. He'd be calling for a cutter for a pitcher that didn't throw a cutter. The pitcher were going crazy your thoughts yeah that's that's obviously a, a pretty jam-packed quote from michael k and obviously his resume speaks for himself in terms of what he's done in this industry i will say that one caught me a little off guard because it's not something i heard it's something ollie marmel wouldn't even touch when it was brought up with us pregame uh, in the series uh before the road trip 
No comment. Um, and I think that was the organization's way of saying, you know, there was definitely some sort of lack of preparation or lack of communication from Wilson's side. But I do not think it was that egregious. Usually, Ollie is very open to discussing these things. For all the gripes that fans have, rightfully or unrightfully so, about him as a manager, his communication, you guys have seen it. He's always willing to expand on topics. He shut that one down pretty quickly. Wilson shut that one down pretty quickly. And, of course, none of the Cardinals pitchers are going to go out and, and say, you know, really feed into that just because it is such a, it's such an indictment on Wilson if that is indeed true. So I would not read too much into that. I definitely think there was a lack of communication between the pitchers and the catchers, and that's what led to uh, Wilson's little timeout from behind the plate. <laughs> I think that communication is better, um, but I do think it's still a work in progress. Keep in mind, you guys, I feel like we get on Wilson a lot, but these Cardinals pitchers, both starters and relievers, they could be on yachty mode up until this season where whatever Yachty's calling, you're just going with. You don't have to think much because who's shaking up Yachty or Molina, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's also been a big adjustment for the pitching staff to realize, okay, and I'm not by all means not calling them lazy, but it's been a big adjustment on their part to go in and say, okay, we really have to communicate as we adjust to a new catcher and this new catcher adjusts to us. And I think both parties really underestimated how much time that would take. Katie, as a quick follow-up to that, do you think that this – report on top of everything that happened already does it cause any waves i guess for others looking into the cardinals organization because we know kind of internally they've already dealt with it but i guess on the outside if you're pending free agents or if you're trying to make a move for certain guys does that cause problems oh absolutely i don't think anyone right now is looking at the cardinals as a prime destination to land and that's crazy because up until a couple of months ago most free agents would entertain the, the offer of playing in St. Louis, but when you're 35 and 50 and your first half has been an absolute disaster, most guys that want to play on a contending team are going to look elsewhere. That's why I think this trade deadline is so important. The Cardinals have been a mess in, in virtually all facets of this first half, whether it's on-field performance, off-field messaging, clubhouse communication, whatever it is, we have an example of things going, you know, not so great. But this trade deadline, I think the front office, especially John Mozeliak, has an ability to kind of patch that up. I'm not suggesting at all that they're going to make a run and compete in the second half. But they can bolster their roster to put themselves in a prime position in 2024. Look, the Cardinals have had 15 winning streaks or winning seasons under John Mozeliak's tenure. You're going to get a dud every once in a while, and they got one, trust me. But there is a way for the team to be uh, competitive in 2024 and kind of get that allure back from outside free agents or maybe teams that were looking to come to, or players that are looking to come to St. Louis. There is a way to get that back, but it certainly does not look like the prime destination right now. Katie, you mentioned 2024. We're going to talk about this later on in our show. Jordan Montgomery, free agent at the end of the year. Do you think there's a chance that the Cardinals could re-sign Jordan Montgomery, whether that is now or after trading him and potentially bringing him back? Because he's been their best pitcher this season. Yeah, you know, I used to be very much on the Jordan Montgomery is going to walk train just because of his agent. Scott Boris, guys, especially when you are a first-time free agent like Jordan Montgomery will be, uh, Boris Corp really pushes for their first-time free agents to go out and try to find as much money as possible and land the deal they deserve. And Jordan Montgomery certainly has earned that opportunity. Um, however, with the Cardinals really searching for pitching, even worse than maybe any of us expected, and but the bar was low, um, I could see them having to adjust their philosophy and spend some money, and Jordan Montgomery seems like the ideal Cardinal to stay. Uh, Miles Michaelis, as we know, and Steven Matz, but you know, he's not even in the rotation at the moment, are the only pitchers locked in under after the season. 
the Cardinals need durability. They need reliance, and they can't go out there and rely on all of their young pitchers if they want to go make a run in 2024. So because things have so drastically changed in this first half, I could see the Cardinals entertaining an extension for Jordan Montgomery or re-signing him. I also think they're in a prime position if they want to trade Montgomery or trade Jack Flaherty because the starting pitching market is so dry, and this is really the one avenue where the Cardinals would have most of the power uh, in a trade. You know, it's no secret that St. Louis is pretty desperate for any kind of talent, but 29 other teams are looking to uh, shore up starting pitching. So it could go one of two ways, but if I'm St. Louis, I am entertaining an extension for Jordan Montgomery more than I was in April or May. Katie, final one for you then. As we head into this All-Star break, have your expectations changed at all from what the Cardinals will do from then until the trade deadline? You know, this trade deadline, I feel like it's shaping up to be so uncharacteristic because we've had such an uncharacteristic first half. But I also feel like because the Cardinals are still, if you look at their roster and the players that they have, minus the pitching side in terms of just position depth, they have a pretty good roster and a pretty good offense. So I'm not sure what to expect. I mean, it's no secret they need to make some upgrades. Um, and maybe that's selling now to get better later. But I think the worst thing this front office can do is treat this trade deadline like they did in 2021 and 2022 and look for incremental upgrades. I think that's the worst thing they could do. The Cardinals are in a really unique position that they ideally are usually never in. I mean, they've been in last place since May 29th and the NL Central. You know, this is not like some big, crazy competitive division. They have a chance to just sell and punt towards the next season. That will require some heavy trades. You have to trade value to get value. But... I think the worst thing, again, that they can do is go into the trade, the trading deadline, find some in- incremental upgrades, say we'll address it in the offseason, and then not. St. Louis is in a really unique spot. Again, not a spot they envisioned in. It could be time to stray from their usual consistent ways that really didn't lead them to any kind of success this year. I'm not at all suggesting blowing it up or a rebuild or a teardown phase, and John Mozeliak has said that as well multiple times, but I do think that they're in a place where they can make some difficult trades at the moment, but set themselves up for success in 2024. And I think the more we see the Cardinals limp into this all-star break, the more the Cardinals front office will entertain that idea. Katie, with that being said, when you look at the Cincinnati Reds and the way they've taken off with their young core that's just now coming up through the system, do do you think that almost forces the Cardinals to show more whether it be urgency at the deadline or in this offseason, because it's no longer that the division feels so open to where it's just they are the favorites. Now going into next year, it's probably going to be the Reds as the favorites with their young core. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's we beat up on the NL Central a lot because for a very long time, this division has not been competitive, and the Cardinals and Brewers could pretty much duke it out every year. But two things have changed. One, the balanced schedule. The Cardinals, the teams in the division aren't beating up on each other anymore, and you're seeing the Reds and the Pirates significantly less. Now, that actually might be a good thing for the Cardinals, considering the Reds have completely taken off. Which is, to my next point, this division is getting better. While the Cardinals are staying the same, that Reds young core is here way ahead of schedule. The Pirates, they're right on their heels. And the Brewers and the Cubs, they're always going to be a way where they can, you know, they might have their rebuild periods, but they're never going to take very long. So this is no longer going to be the NL Central where you kind of can just beat up on each other and joke around that this is a weak division. This is going to be a competitive division, and if the Cardinals don't make the necessary changes, they're going to be right where they are right now, which is last place, you know, one of the biggest disappointments in the National League in the first half entirely, and struggling to compete in a division they were expected to win.
She is Katie Wu. You can find her great work covering the Cardinals on The Athletic. You can also follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Katie, appreciate the time. Enjoy this final stretch, and we'll talk to you next week going into the All-Star break. You got it, guys. Talk soon. There you go. That's Katie. And uh, talking multiple topics, and the one that I want to get into on the other side, Tanner, um, the Jordan Montgomery front, potentially trying to re-sign him before the trade deadline or maybe going the Aroldis Chapman route. Let's discuss that on the other side of this here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Is empty in the first. Paints the inside corner. Clock mark here in the central time zone. Harrison swings and misses. Four up, four down. Two-two pitch again for Torres. And he got it. Pulled a string. Tough man to strike out, but Montgomery's gotten him twice. As Monty pauses and strikes him out. That was courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. Chip Carey on the call. Jordan Montgomery once again dazzling. In his most recent start, that one against the Yankees, where he went six and two thirds, six strikeouts, zero earned runs. In his last five starts, he's gone 28 and two thirds innings, and he's allowed five runs. On top of that, the strikeouts have been there. He's averaging about six per start, and frankly, he's not walking a lot of guys. He is everything you wanted Jordan Montgomery to be from last season carrying over. Now, he had a rough start to the season, but since he found his feet, He's gotten back to being, frankly, the number two in this rotation, which is what he was kind of slated to be going into this season. And alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. The question now becomes, what do you do with Jordan Montgomery? Because as we all know, he's a pending unrestricted free agent. He's a Scott Boris client. We talked about it in the offseason. You probably have to make your decision. Do you want to re-up Miles Michaelis? Or do you want to re-up Jordan Montgomery? And the one that you choose is going to be in the rotation. And the other, you either let walk or you trade if the season goes haywire. Now, we didn't think the season was going to go as haywire as it's been. But you are at the crossroads now heading into this all-star break of deciding, do we trade Jordan Montgomery or do we try and work out a deal? Frankly, with me, I don't care how great he's been. I'm trading him. Because your team has been in this vicious circle of the same thing over and over and over and over. And although, yes, Jordan Montgomery is a breath of fresh air for your roster, you need to capitalize, just like Doug Armstrong did with Ryan O'Reilly and Ivan Barbashev and Vladimir Tarasenko, you capitalize on having assets that other teams want at the trade deadline and get something that helps you for the future. Now, it's not going to be a first-round pick because that's not how baseball works. But Jordan Montgomery should absolutely be a piece that you look at and say, we want you back, Jordan. We can discuss in the offseason. But for now, we need to recoup as many assets as possible to make our team better for 2024. So my stance is address it in the offseason if you'd like, but trade him before August 1st. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think Jordan Montgomery is a guy that's going to be dealt because I think he's going to be a hot commodity, a left-handed starter that can play as a number or no, number two or number three in a playoff rotation. I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be lining up for Jordan Montgomery. And just depending on who is all out there by the time we get to the deadline, he could arguably be like a top 10 available starting pitcher that could be on the market. So I agree with you that the Cardinals are going to have to cash in in terms of trading him off. But I think where the conversation gets interesting is 
do they have a conversation with Jordan Montgomery of, hey, look, we got to we got to sell you because this is the best thing for the organization right now. But we don't don't just keep us out of the loop when it comes to talking to you about your next contract in the offseason, because I think there is a argument to potentially be made that they should bring him back this offseason on a contract extension because when you look at his numbers I mean in 28 games started as a Cardinal he has 15 quality starts he's been great as a St. Louis Cardinal covering 162 and a third innings pitched in his two really a a season combined right now between the first half of this year and the second half of last year so I I could see a scenario in which the Cardinals look at it and say all right we've got Michaelis we've got Mats we need three more spots in our rotation we got to go find an ace we'll figure they'll figure that out is it going to be via trade is it going to be via uh, signing someone like an Aaron Nola or Blake Snell to fill that role and then they're going to say okay now where are we going to go shopping for this mid-tier starter I've said it I love Lucas Giolito the Chicago White Sox but I could see where the Cardinals who always preach about familiarity part of the reason why they signed Miles Michaelis to his contract extension going back to Jordan Montgomery and locking him up and bringing him in to continue continue to serve as a two or a three in their rotation while also adding the ace. I could see where they do that. I know I, I tend to lean on the side of, look, this rotation's been bad, Montgomery's in it, and though he's been great, he has had a couple blow-ups in just a small stretch there. I think the best thing for the Cardinals is completely retool with new faces in the mm-hmm. rotation and not bring back Jordan Montgomery. But I could see the scenario in which they say, we know what he's like as a pitcher. We really like what we got in terms of bring, sign, or getting rid of Harrison Bader to bring in Montgomery. I just wonder if that is somebody that we've always been saying, look at that mid-tier pitching market. Who are they going to bring in? I could see where they circle back and go, Montgomery's the guy, let's bring him back. Here's my problem with that, though. You're not paying Jordan Montgomery to be the mid-level starter. You're going to be paying Jordan Montgomery probably around Miles Michaelis, if not more, because it is Scott Boris' client. We could be talking 20 mil per year, especially if he has a good second half and goes to a team and performs in the postseason. And you're going to be paying him you're going to be paying him what you should be paying an ace, but he's not going to be providing what an ace can provide you. And that would be my concern. You could probably get Lucas Giolito a lot cheaper than Jordan Montgomery to be a third starter for you. And that is how you kind of construct this bullpen. What I would look at with Jordan Montgomery, and this is the part that and we'll get into this a little bit later. I just don't trust this Cardinals team, but you need to find the young stud on a team that needs starting pitching now that you can put into your system and say next year he's going to be a part of our roster and actually compete. That's where Jordan Montgomery can come into play because Seattle wouldn't do this because I'm not really sure Seattle considers themselves a contender. But those young arms that we've talked about, that is a perfect spot if you're Seattle to say, we need Jordan Montgomery now. And the Cardinals say, well, we need one of those younger pitchers in our rotation. That's what I would do with Jordan Montgomery. And guess what? If he loved it in St. Louis and is willing to re-up here in the offseason – By all means, call them, find a way to get the deal done. That's one hell of a rotation. But I don't want them to view Jordan Montgomery as the ace and pay him that way because then they're going to go even lower in terms of talent to fill out the rotation. And a one-two punch of Montgomery and Michaelis is great, but it's not going to get the job done. And and see, I don't see it. They can't even sell anybody on the fact that they're going to sign Jordan Montgomery as to be an ace. If they're signing Jordan Montgomery... They sold us on them spending to the uh, amount of money, if not more, than they did last year. Yeah, I, I know. But like, I, they, that 
was like a basically a hey we're gonna throw it out there and then we're gonna cover our asses by deciding to uh, have a loophole to you get know what's ourselves gonna through it. We signed my, uh, Jordan Montgomery to be our ace, and then when they don't do anything, well, we looked for starting pitchers in the offseason well, no, and we couldn't gonna, find we're them. We're gonna crush them for. And this is where we just view things differently. You view it as they're not gonna do it, and I view it as things are gonna change because this is the worst. This is the third worst season they have had had through the first eighty one games. But listen to what John Mozeliak's been saying. All he's been saying is, oh, well, I, we I gotta figure Mo, out what we're gonna do. I, I think Mo and look again, like Mo's not going to come out and say, "Yeah, we're going to go out there and we're going to spend sixty million dollars on starting pitching." Because then you tie your hand behind your back, because everybody knows what you're doing. I I think what they're going to do, I think they've learned from their lessons. I, I know he was on uh, the Cardinals radio network over the weekend and gave a quote of like, you know, we gave guys opportunities and they just didn't run with it. You know, we're going to have to learn from that. I I truly believe the Cardinals are going to be aggressive, and maybe they're not going to be spending. $80 million on the rotation in the offseason, but I do think they're making significant changes, whether that is bringing back Montgomery as this number two, because they cannot sell him as a one. If they do, they will be crushed for it, and I will be on the air doing this, doing that, but I, I think what they will do is they will be aggressive. They're going to sign probably two guys, or at least sign one and probably bring someone in via trade. This rotation is going to look entirely different next season. Whether that means Montgomery's in it or not is a different conversation, but I can see where they tell themselves Let's do what the Yankees did where they traded off Chapman. And again, he was a reliever, but they got Glaber Torres in that deal. You get a young prospect in return that you really like, whether he's an arm or a position player. They can decide based on what, whoever they're selling him to. And then you go into the offseason and you bring him back on a deal. And I, I think he may cost right around, if not more, than Lucas Giolito because he's got better numbers in his career than Lucas Giolito. Now, he hasn't thrown the same amount of innings because he dealt with some injuries early on in his career. But he's got better numbers than Lucas Giolito in his career as a whole. So I think he's going to get basically the same type of deal. It's just a matter of fact of do the Cardinals want to shop in this number two market by getting a familiar face that they know, or do they want someone new entirely, whether that's in free agency or via trade? Well, that's going to be the other area now that they're going to have to consider, and we've talked about this, of anybody can do this, is you're going to have to overhaul your bullpen in the offseason too. This, this bullpen is broken, my this heart. This bullpen is uh, is not Man, broken make, your heart. We make T-shirts for the circle of trust. They're broken. Mm-hmm. And right now, only one guy is working in that bullpen. So that's going to be another area that they're going to have to address. But here's the other factor in bringing in these pitchers. Are pitchers even going to be willing to come to St. Louis now with this whole Wilson Contreras thing? Because, man, the Cardinals cannot get out of their own way. We'll discuss that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. To me, it, it, it breaks my heart, man, because Wilson Wilson's a really good player. And I can't imagine that he would come over to a new team and for the money he did, and, and you know, he said, he, did, he said and did all the right things and then not know what guys throw. I can understand getting confused if there's new guys or something like that, but they got a pretty veteran staff over there in St. Louis, and he faced a bunch of those guys repeatedly. I mean, I hope it's not true. I haven't seen anybody come out and say it's not true. We had Ryan Helsley on, and he kind of he kind of tried to squash it a little bit, but didn't squash it all the way, I guess. Um, but, you know, listen, I hope it's not true. That was A.J. Perzinski, a former Cardinals and Major League Baseball catcher, now part of foul territory. Uh, he was on the opening drive earlier today, which you can go check it out uh, later on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. But Perzinski, of course, talking about Wilson Contreras. And why is this back resurfacing? 
uh, because Michael Kay, if you don't know that name, he's a part of the Yankees broadcast team. He was on the Cardinals broadcast uh, in that London series. And then, of course, was just at Bush Stadium when the Yankees took on the Cardinals. And during the broadcast, this is what Michael Kay said, quote, I found out something. I was talking to a lot of the Cardinal people. The reason that they took Contreras out from behind the plate, he was calling pitches that the pitcher on the mound didn't have. He would be calling for a cutter for a pitcher that didn't throw a cutter. The pitches were go- the pitchers were going crazy. End quote. The reason we're back at this is because the Cardinals can't get out of their own way. And I'm not even talking about on the field. The on the field has been an issue in itself. Whether the pitchers haven't they been working. They get in their own way and on the field. Well, frankly, yes. Their feet get in their own way or the glove gets in the way of the ball when they're trying to make plays. But defensively, offensively, pitching-wise, it hasn't been pretty. But then you throw in everything that's taken place off-field. And look, some stuff over-exaggerated because the season has gone poorly. But no bigger blemish this season, in my opinion, than the Wilson Contreras. You yank him from the spot. You're... Mum on the decision, basically just saying, well, he needs to work, kind of embarrassing him. And then you put him back like 10 days later where you said it was going to be some time. He's fine. And then you are good for a little bit. And now you start struggling. And now this comes back out. And look, Michael Kay's talking about what happened prior when Wilson Contreras was yanked. He's not talking about currently. At least it didn't seem from the quote that I heard. But this is my problem when it comes to the pitching conversation in the offseason. And I asked Katie this earlier. This isn't a destination spot right now if you're a free agent pitcher. Not only is it going poorly in terms of all of your pitchers have been struggling with the exception of Montgomery and Michaelis, but now you've got this Wilson Contreras thing. And surprise, surprise, ladies and gentlemen, Wilson Contreras is here for the next three seasons. He's the starting catcher, unless they decide to put him in the outfield again. Who knows? This doesn't become the easiest path to you bringing in starting pitchers now via trade guess what they can't control that because you're going to acquire that but if you're going to dip your toe in free agency and say we're going to go get Aaron Nola or we're going to go get Julio Urias and we're going to upgrade this rotation via free agency you better be ready to pony up the bucks in the years because right now guys aren't dying to get their agent to get a phone call from the St. Louis Cardinals, especially if the season continues to go south. And this Wilson Contreras thing is the number one reason why. Yeah, there's no doubt that the Cardinals are not a free agent destination right now. And look, I I think that can kind of be overstated because I, I think the biggest thing that talks is the dollar figure that's going to be thrown at the starting pitcher than anything else. But look, they, they are running right now like a bad organization like that that's what they look like right now they look like a dysfunctional organization with everything that's gone on between the product on the field and also what has been going on in terms of how like roster management has been used uh and also the all these other things that keep popping up like the Contreras thing now coming back to the forefront again with the Yankees in town in this report from Michael K so yes I I don't disagree with they are not a free agent destination right now but again I I think all that can change I, I think they can try to sweep this Contreras thing under the rug because like though it was a big issue early on it's not like they've pulled him from behind the plate again he's still behind the plate he's the everyday catcher right now I know he wasn't in the lineup yesterday he was DH but they were gonna do that no matter what this year that that's not something new so I I I think the biggest thing for me was looking at this report in the Cardinals is I I know Katie said like they tried to shut it down by not not giving it a comment I I didn't think they did a good enough job there I think the no comment made it almost look as if they were kind of guilty of going yeah this was kind of true I think they had to come out more and go no this this isn't true Wilson Contreras the reasons he was pulled was different than that it was never an issue with calling pitches because I, I 
this was part of my fear with the Contreras thing, and I, I said this at the time, why I wasn't 100% just blaming the Cardinals, was it did feel like there was a preparation issue from Contreras' end, and I think this just kind of solidified that point of view for me of, yes, maybe this report's not 100% true, but there's something to it there, that Contreras' preparation was not where the Cardinals were expecting it, and they were right, in my opinion, in pulling him from behind the plate at the time. Yeah, we got a comment or a question on, on our YouTube chat from Kylo, who asks, was it a destination spot for free agent starting pitchers back when Yachty was here? Absolutely. I mean, we've heard from multiple starting pitchers when they were signed. Now, the problem is the Cardinals didn't really sign a lot of starting pitchers, but when they did, or when they acquired them via trade, the first thing those pitchers used to talk about was, well, I get to throw to Yadier Molina. And look, Katie's absolutely right. This might be more on the players than it is a Wilson Contreras thing. Maybe they got too comfortable in their own shoes of, oh, well, I know exactly what Yadi's going to throw because every starting pitcher in that rotation has been with Yadi for at least two seasons, maybe more. So everybody got comfortable in this terms of, hey, Yachty's going to be out there, and what he calls, I'm going to throw. And the problem that you fall into this season was it's not Yachty back there, but you haven't broken the routine of what he calls, I'm not going to shake off. I mean, we heard Chip Carey talking about how Miles Michaelis, start, he started calling his own pitches, which is frankly what Adam Wainwright does. And that's not a problem, but the narrative and the reason that the soap opera is a problem is because it gets it gets – bigger every single time somebody talks about it. And to your question, Tanner, of the money or the comment you had of the money is going to steer the direction. If I'm going after an ace, money's going to be there. If I'm if I'm um, like Aaron Nola on the free agent market this offseason, I'm going to have five or six, seven teams willing to give me a lot of money. So then it comes down to destination. Which one do I prefer to be at unless the other team is willing to fork over more money? And that's the part that gets a problematic for the Cardinals. So, again, this can be addressed. You have the weapons to address this via trade, but you're going to have to address this sooner rather than later, talking about finding the pitchers, because I, the more that this happens and the, the the further down this season goes for the Cardinals, I'm worried the soap opera be, gets bigger and bigger and bigger going into the offseason, which is problematic for this team. And, and I will say this, too. I, I think part of the reason this has kind of felt like a soap opera, to your point, and it's felt very dysfunctional and I'm not trying to, like, give the Cardinals a cop-out. I'm not. But I think it's because it's the first losing se- – a true losing season. Not a down season where they finish above 500, but a true losing season in John Mosellock's tenure to where they just don't know how to really react to what's going on, to where they, they don't have answers internally. They don't have – they can't make a trade right now to go fix everything. They, it seems they've got a plan for 2024. That's a bad look, though, if I'm somebody who is being targeted by a team that doesn't know what their plan is. I – I'm not. I'm better rephrase. I don't think they don't have a plan. I think there now is a plan. I think they have to reshape it on the fly now because I think they were expecting to be. They were expecting to be competitive this year. They've got a plan, and that's to be in the postseason in 2024. And if they're going to anybody, they're going to go to the the starting pitcher that's on the free agent market and go. You're the guy that's going to help us get there because we need to retool our rotation, and we think you're the guy that can help with that. And they're going to have to go to that, which are like three guys to say that and then sign them or trade for them to get them in the rotation. But I think this whole dysfunctional thing, and again, I'm not trying to give them a cop-out, I promise, is the fact of this is the first true losing season under John Mosellock's tenure, and it just doesn't look good with Molina being gone at the same time, and you've got the youngest manager in baseball that is running things in Ali Marmol. So it's just a storm that has brewed up to where the point of it feels like the Cardinals are a dysfunctional organization. I don't think they are. I think it's just happened to come at the worst possible time. And I think the Contreras thing is it got over. It didn't get overblown. They made that decision early on. 
And I think that was, hey, we can't operate like this on the five years of this contract. Mm-hmm. You've got to figure it out. We gave you the money to be the primary catcher. And now what's he been since then? He's been the primary catcher, and I expect him to be that for the remainder of this contract. I, I will say this. You, you mentioned something about how Ollie and Wilson Contreras handled it. I mean, Wilson, I expected him to say no comment. I mean, Wilson's gotten into it. He's been more upfront about this whole thing than any player should in the situation that he's gone through. I was a little surprised like you that the way that Ollie handled it. And look, I, I understand a lot of our people that listen don't like Ollie. I'm mo- I'm higher on Ollie than most people. I just do think that this season's gotten off the rails for him, and he's not really sure how to put it back. But in the situation where when this is brought up about Wilson Contreras in the comment, to just say no comment, maybe I'm reading further into this than what I should be. I, I would have handled that a little differently. I would have went immediately when I heard that question and say, look, that is untrue. We are happy with Wilson Contreras' progress since we pulled him from that spot. So whatever you heard is not what is going on in that locker room. To just say no comment leaves it open-ended for speculation and leaves more Agreed. and more people. I mean, listen to AJ Pruszynski. He's like, I hope it's not true. Nobody shot it down, but I hope it's not true. If Ollie would have been aggressive in that and said, Look, that is not true. That is not coming from our locker room. We are more than happy with Wilson Contreras' progress as a catcher. I think it would have died there. But instead, it leaves it open for discussion. I, I totally agree. I, I did think that it was – I don't know if handle wasn't handled properly as the right forward, but I, I just felt like the no comment was just the the allows you to open Pandora's box of, oh, well, why would he not comment on that? Maybe it is true. Maybe it's not. I, I just – I did agree that it felt like it could have been handled better by Ollie, but, but the – the report again it, it just shows the dysfunction that's going on right now because every time that you start to feel like the Cardinals have gotten away from anything that's not on field related something else pops up and that and that's what's got to end for the Cardinals it, it can no longer be having these stories that come out of this player's not preparing or this is happening within the Cardinals organization no it's just got to get back to we've got to play better at baseball on the field and try and turn it around in the second half while the front office has to do what they have to do because of the way we've performed in the first half well we'll see if they can uh, put it back on the rails later tonight they're taking on the Marlins once again two more games in this series 540 first pitch and if you missed it earlier Katie Wu our Cardinals insider was on with us and said Matthew Levator is starting today uh, they have no designated roles for Dakota Hudson or Zach Thompson so they're either going to be relievers or they're going to be starters depending on what moves forward with this Cardinals team so it'll be Matthew Levator on the mound later on this evening against the Miami Marlins that's Coming a up, win that, let's uh fingers crossed buddy fingers crossed speaking of fingers I had myself a incident over the holiday weekend that put me in the emergency room. So we'll get into that on the junk drawer coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today. He missed out on our debut of our YouTube page. 
but that's okay. People got to look at myself and Tanner and Grant and can continue doing that till 2 o'clock, and then they get the fast lane, Stalter and Marshy and Rivs. And by the way, make sure you go subscribe to our YouTube page at 101 ESPN STL. You can also chat with us, and we've had our second poll of the day that's up there currently, which is should the Cardinals re-sign Jordan Montgomery this offseason? Go ahead and vote on that and tell Tanner he's wrong once again because the Doug Armstrong poll, yeah, they sided with myself and Grant Francis. You know, I don't think you can claim you won because you said they got an A and 50% of people I voted said, for B. We said B. B. I said A++ because he didn't go into the free agent market. I need Whatever. you to use your listening ears, sir. Whatever. Well, let's do the junk drawer here because I had an eventful holiday week. Yeah. So you know how 4th of July weekend, fireworks going off. Typically, somebody's going to be bound to end up in the emergency room, right? Because yeah. finger gets blown off, firework faulty. Well, that was me. And it didn't have anything to do with the firework. Blow, oh, well, no, I didn't blow same. it off. I um, saw five fingers when I, I shook There are five. And by the way, Lloyd, who uh, commented on our YouTube page saying, oh, man, so does that mean we're losing the Ferrari 05 and going to a Ferrari 04? Yep. No, Lloyd, I still have my finger, but it is stitched up. So Monday night. Trying to get all the prep because I was having family over for the 4th of July and I was going to smoke a brisket. My second brisket, last one was success, but I wanted to try again. And for those that don't do the briskets, like you have to trim off a lot of fat because the brisket is just, it's covered. And so my wife for Father's Day, she bought me a brisket prep set. So it's got like a cutting board that turns into a bucket so I can put the spices and it doesn't spill everywhere. It's got like um, the butcher paper. It's got a heating thing for it. Man, what a great gift. It's a great gift. And it came with a, a brisket slicer because I use our steak knives. And look, they suck to cut because that fat is difficult. So she gets me this, this like knife. And I'm thinking, awesome, I'll use this. So Monday night. 10 o'clock. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start this. I'm going to put it on the grill by about midnight. I have a question. Yeah. Because it feels like a Ferrario move. Yeah. When you unveil the knife or when you pull it out and get ready to cut the brisket, you go, now that's a knife. Yeah. I, I held it up and I showed it to her and the I Australia, said. What's that movie? I can't remember the movie. Look out, he's got a knife. Uh, no. I, I can't crocodile. Yeah, crocodile. Oh, Thank right. you, Mike Ryder. I knew it was a crocodile. Thanks. I, I knew you'd was, know the reference, even say, though I kind of had an idea. I going to say crocodile hunter, but he hasn't. Yeah. he wouldn't say that, so. No. Yeah. Um, so anyway. You go crikey. <laughs> you might so, have said that after you cut your finger. So anyway. No, it's no, I'm not even going to go down that path. <laughs> so I'm sitting there slicing the brisket and, you know, pulling the fat up. And, of course, in the middle of it, I kind of slip and it cuts my finger. And I'm like, oh, shoot. So it's just a little nick. Not a big deal. Blood. Wiped it up. Put a bandage on it. Good to go. Siri apparently has thought on this one. She said glad to hear it. She's yes. happy for Thanks, you. Siri. So anyway. so Gosh, she's mean. Then after I slice it, I start to work at it again. And my hand slips, and this knife goes through my finger. Mm. I mean, to the point where it, like, if you're looking, I guess I could show the YouTube page with my finger. If you're <laughs> if you're slicing, you go in towards it. So I sliced off, like, half of the skin on my finger. I thought it was just another nick, but it was gushing blood. And so I'm sitting at the sink trying to clean it up, and I look at my wife, and I go, I think i got to go to the emergency room. She's like, no, nah, it's probably okay. But then she looked at it and she goes, you probably should go. So it's 11 o'clock at night and I go to the emergency room, blood. I mean, I had a towel wrapped around it. Mm. Thing was covered. It was red. And I get to the emergency room and I'm like, hey, think I need stitches. Waited for three hours. Emergency room. They finally uh, come in and he looks at it. And he's like, yeah, you need stitches. And I mean, he lifted the flap. And I'm just going to get brutal on your lunch break. He lifted the flap and he's like, yeah, we got to do an x-ray. They were worried I hit the bone. I'm like, oh, my God, of course. Luckily, I did hit the bone. They just stitched it up. But now I have, like, 
eight stitches on my finger from oh, wow, carving up a brisket. Yeah, I mean, it was a V. Well, like, I sliced a V into my finger. I hate to tell the Ferrario family, but no more brisket because Ferrario just can't no, handle No, it. you can't. Or he's got to cut the, it. Look, we know in Nashville, bedtime's at, what was it, 10 o'clock or bedtime something Bedtime is ridiculous. 10 o'clock. If you're cutting it at 11 o'clock, man, no wonder why you missed. Yeah. Before the next tired. time you pick up a knife, you need to invest in one of those gloves yep. that is like the rubber ones. Uh-huh. Well, here's the here's the kicker. Knowing yourself, you should have already done that before doing here's this. Here's the kicker. I told everybody we were having brisket. So I got home at one after getting my fingers no stitched up. Oh, no, I went home and I sliced the rest of that brisket. You got to get it Did done. Did you really? Oh, nice. yeah, I got it done. But the problem. Hockey guy. If you could have seen this, I was holding it with my hand so far up. So I was like stretching <laughs> the fat so I wouldn't slice my finger with it again. That's smart. It that's, was very that's smart. That's just smart cooking right there. And uh, the, the emergency room doctor who came in and stitched my finger up, of course, like the worst thing you can hear, he walks in and he goes, so are you Alex Ferrari on the radio? No. I'm the other one. I'm like, yeah. You ever you ever tell people you're not who they think you are? Well, that would have been the moment to tell them, but I go, yeah. And he goes, ah, oh, I love listening to your show. And I said, well, listen on Wednesday because I'm going to have one hell of a story to talk about. <laughs> Shout out to the doc. Uh, but uh, no, I, uh, I've i done it once before where someone said, are you are you T-Bone? I was wearing a, the 101 ESPN jacket we have. And I immediately looked at him and went, no, not me. <laughs> I got this somewhere. Why? Because you didn't want to have a conversation. That just wasn't in a friendly and giving mood. Typically, text line, you the listeners on our YouTube page, at 101 ESPN STL. You see me in public, come say hello. Just that person, I wasn't in the mood that day. Yeah, well. I may have been at a Cardinal game. Good news for me is the, bris- the brisket turned out great. All yeah. that matters. Didn't slice my finger too bad, and I got no blood on the meat. There you go. That and you know of. That I know of. So if my family, <laughs> if you ate some, I apologize if there was. I didn't make it rare, though, so you didn't have to worry about that. He's Grant Francis, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Luke Korak of NHL.com, Blues Insider. He was out at Centene throughout Prospect Camp. Want to get his thoughts on what he saw from Dvorsky, a couple of others that might be sneaky good players for St. Louis, and his thoughts on the offseason. All that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. As always, you can text us on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. But you can also head over to our live YouTube page as we are up on YouTube. We've got the cameras in studio. You can check it out at 101 ESPN STL on YouTube. And now we head to our phone lines and welcome in one of my favorites. He is Lou Korak, NHL.com Blues Insider, who was positioned out at Prospect Camp all weekend long at the Centene Community Ice Center and has plenty of players to discuss. Lou Ball, let's jump into the one that I saw so many times on social media and then, of course, caught him uh, Monday when I was out there. Dalibor Dvorsky, the first round draft pick, 10th overall by the blues in this previous draft he seems to have a lot of people talking about him which means that prospect camp went really well yeah i think people want him signed already probably <laughs> signed to a long-term extension let's uh let's get doug armstrong uh at the table and uh get get the pen and paper and ready to get him signed yeah he became a fan favorite real quick guys it's uh i'll be honest with you and and i'm not exaggerating when i say this i'm, I'm telling you every time it seemed like I saw the puck on his stick. I can't recall, you know, and I get it. He's going up against his own peers here, but I can't recall him really 
anything wrong where you're just like, oh, don't do that in the NHL, buddy. But it, it it was amazing. I mean, just the talent level alone, I'm I'm really impressed. And this kid seems very guarded and humbled by everything that he dealt with there and, and being a part of that. And I think he just understands this is – this is the first step to his journey towards the NHL. He embraced it. Um, he got a lot of oohs and ahs, I'll tell you that. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of applause from, uh, I might say, I was really impressed, guys, with, with, with the crowd that was out there. And each and every one of them, I'll tell you, they noticed who number 54 was out there. And get used to that because right now he's wearing number 54. Right. So, so Lou, uh, just as a follow-up, because I'm unfamiliar with how this would go, but because he was playing in Sweden and he's 18 years old, if they signed him to a, a contract, an entry-level contract, and he didn't play at the NHL, he could play in the American Hockey League, correct? Or would he just go back to Sweden with his entry-level contract? That's a good question. I, I believe he would go back to Sweden anyway. Gotcha. And that that's the whole – in asking him, that, that's, that seems to be his intent anyway because he is I, – I think he understands that playing over there has been very beneficial for him even at this young age because, listen, quite frankly, he's playing against grown men over there. And it's going to give him a taste of what – not exactly because obviously – the best players in the world are over here in the NHL. Let's make no mistake about it. But playing against, you know, the kind of caliber that you're going to see over here is what's going to prepare him over there to better transition to life over here. So I think making that jump right away into the A would be a little bit uh, would be a little bit of a humbling experience for him. I think it's it's better for him to be over there and to experience that. He said he. He chose Sweden because that's that's the path he feels is best for him right now. I mean, he's a Slovak kid. He could have played in any one of the Slovakian pro leagues over there, but he chose to go to another country to better himself. And uh, you can already see he's 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 very intelligent, uh, very mature for his age, and uh, he's very appreciative of having this opportunity to get started. And uh, I think he wants to make a good mark on the Blues because the one thing that stood out to me is. He wants to impress those that he said believed in him. Lou, another one of the top prospects for the St. Louis Blues, Zachary Bolduc. Doug Armstrong mentioned it before the draft, how in his first camp with the Blues, he was impressed with him. Last year, he thought he had a down camp. What did you make of Zachary Bolduc at prospect camp this past weekend? It wasn't bad. I mean, you can definitely tell. And in talking to Tim Taylor yesterday, he even said, he goes, he looks taller to me. And you know, I don't know. Maybe these guys know better than we do, but uh, they they said he checked in at six foot last year, and they thought he came in at six one. I, I you know I don't know if one inch makes that much of a difference, but I can certainly tell in just his physical stature. He's bigger, and I think he understood that he had to get to that area in order to be a more of a well rounded two hundred foot player. And you hear that all the time: two hundred foot player being on being more sound and fundamentally better on the other side of the puck when you don't have it. And I talked to him about that and asked him about that. And Craig Berube was pretty blunt and honest with him guys last year when he told him he's not ready. You're not ready. This is what you need to work on. This is who you need to be. And that for some guys that can be, you know, a humbling experience because, you know, you know where you're coming from the queue and scoring 50, 55 plus goals regularly. And you are the man you know, now you're being told you're not good enough to be here. Well, how are you going to take that? And I think he took it the right way because 
He even told me the other day when I talked to him, he understood what he needed to do to go back to better his game. And what, you know, I, I think he got the proper coaching in it too, because, you know, being under the tutelage of a guy like Patrick Waugh, who understands, even though it's from a goalie position, he understands what it takes and who you have to be and what you have to become in order to be an NHL player. And I thought that was really good for him to experience what he experienced this year not only winning the Q, but winning the Memorial Cup as well, and being a prominent player doing so. We're talking with Lou Korak, NHL.com Blues Insider. You can follow him on Twitter at LKorak10. Uh, Lou, we talked about this earlier in the show. When you talk about Snuggaroon and Bolduke and Dean and now Dvorsky, they got a lot of forward talent in their system, but defensively, maybe not as much. Were there defensemen that stuck out to you at this prospect camp? There were a couple, and, you know, obviously right off right off the hop, you know, one of their three first-round selections, I thought Theo Lindstein handled himself very well. Uh, he's another one that's going to go back to Sweden and play in, in the Swedish Pro League over there, which is good. And, again, going to prepare him just like it's going to prepare Dvorsky to make those next strides to get here. I thought uh, Marc-Andre Godet handled himself very well here as well. Uh an offensive-minded guy scored some nice goals uh, in the scrimmages that they played. Thought he was a good puck handler. And uh, Michael Butchinger, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. I've heard it a few different ways. Uh, um, Tim Taylor spoke of him yesterday. Uh, feels like, you know, he's one of those players that's caught their eye as well. So there are a few guys there that, you know, you're you're definitely going to be following through the ranks. It's it's a shame we didn't get to see Quentin Burns, who was uh, one of the third-round picks that they had in Nashville last week. Uh, wasn't able to be in here because he's battling through some injury. But uh, they do have a couple of guys. They took Paul Fisher in the draft last week, uh, Matt Mage in the draft last week. So some guys that are going to be coming through in the pipeline. But, you know, guys, when you, when you talk about defensemen, they obviously develop, uh, I don't want to say at a slower pace, but, it, but it's – but it's more of a challenging uh, route to get to the NHL to me than it is for forwards. So you're going to hear some of these names down the road, but there are some guys there that you feel like uh, that maybe somewhere down the line here are going to be uh, factors for this franchise. Lou, I want to move away from prospects camp because over the weekend as well was NHL free agency and the blues weren't major players. And I I think we all kind of expected that their one deal that at the NHL level on a one-way deal was Mackenzie McEachern signing him to a two-year deal. And Kevin Hayes was the only other acquisition so far from the St. Louis blues this off season. Do do you think they're done? Do you think that we can kind of put a wrap on the blues off season or do you think Doug Armstrong still has something up his sleeve? I always seem to think that he has something up his sleeve because he never likes uh, to tip his poker hand. We've seen that a number of times. When you look at it right now uh, on paper, you would think that they're done because really they have no wiggle room as far as the cap is concerned. The cap went up by a million dollars. It's not a whole lot for them to deal with, but you know they still have to get uh, Torchenko, who's an RFA. They have to get him under contract, and that's pretty much going to dry up the well as far as what they have in funds available, but if, if they are able to do anything, uh, money's going to have to move out. And we've already seen that, that that was a little tougher than they anticipated. And we're hoping, uh, with, uh, the potential flyers trade that was supposed to be bigger than what it actually came out to be. So that's going to be his biggest challenge, uh, between now and September, he's got plenty of time to do something. But again, if you're going to bring somebody in here and I think that, you know, to me, you still have to shore up that defense somehow, some way, uh, give it a different look because I don't know if that's going to be, you know, from a fan perspective, 
I don't think that's what they're going to want to see going into next year after what you went through with that group this year and to get them to believing that this can be a playoff team again. But from a forward perspective, I think they're pretty deep again. Uh, You know, you've got a guy in Kevin Hayes there that, you know, you're probably going to pencil in as your third line center. He can bump him up to a second line center if need be. But, you know, I I think they're in good shape there. But I still think that he's got something up his sleeve. It's just going to take a little bit of magic in order to get it done because, quite frankly, the Blues aren't the only ones in this position. There are other teams out there that, you know, are dealing with cap issues as well. It's just all uh, how you can maneuver around that and to be able to figure something out, which I think that uh, he's going to do. But if this is the roster right now today – that they're going into next year, uh, they, they've certainly got some work to do. Where would you put them, Lou, if this is the roster going into the upcoming season in terms of the Central Division with the other teams? Where would you rank St. Louis? Uh, well, definitely behind Colorado. Uh, Minnesota, I, I still, you know, they're, they've been a playoff team here, but it's it's been a team that, you know, is kind of in flux right now like the Blues. They weren't able to do a whole lot. We. They added Pat Maroon, you know, a couple of days ago. We all know about him uh, to, you know, give them some of that toughness back there. But I can, I can definitely see them if they're able to make the improvements and and show with the kind of lineup that they have. Because I certainly think even with everything that happened last year, I think they underachieved. Because I kind of put them on par there with a Minnesota, and I just don't know if there's anybody else. I think Winnipeg, a playoff team last year. I think they've dropped back. You know, you obviously see them going through some transition here. So it it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to see this team even constructed as is because I think some of these teams have fallen back for them to finish, you know, maybe behind a Colorado. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me, but they could fall to me anywhere from I'd say second down to maybe fourth or fifth. You just don't know. It's all it's all gonna be predicated on their performance. Did we expect that performance from them? Uh, on a regular basis last year, no, but it, it's it's with basically the roster that you have now. Now you've added a couple of guys that you think are going to help improve that, so that's why I think there's the potential there uh, to be a playoff team again, but the right things have to fall into place for that to happen. Absolutely. Lubal, always great stuff, my man. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at LCORAC10 for all of your off-season information. And Lubal, I know you picked up that cowboy hat out in Nashville, so make sure you wear it proudly the rest of the off-season. <laughs> I will, and I, I, I should bring one in because I see you guys are YouTube rock stars now, man. How do I get an autograph from you from you celebrities? Well, don't worry. I have photo shots of, my, of me in my car. I will make sure to sign it next time I see you, Lou, but I'll put it in a frame just for you. All right, guys. Take care. <laughs> Have a you, good one. See you, Lou Ball. You too. That's Lou Korak of NHL.com Blues Insider. Always great stuff from him. Again, on Twitter at L Korak Tem. What he said there at the end is kind of combining what we talked about earlier in the show. But I'm I'm more on par with Lou than than most people, and I think most people are on the same line of thinking as you, T Bone. Where you're probably the fourth best team in the Central Division because Minnesota, Dallas, Colorado. I'm with Lou though. I don't buy into Minnesota, and Minnesota is going to be more cap-strung this year because the Suter and the Parise things are kicking in. I would say the Blues are right there with Minnesota as the third-best team. And when you look at the landscape of the West, we've talked about this. We talked about it during our draft show. It's not so much just the Central because there's no way you're winning the Central Division. Like, that's out of that's out of hope right now. But what you're hoping on is for one of those wild-card spots, which is top two out of everybody that's not in their division. 
you figure your division is going to be Colorado, Dallas, you or Minnesota. And then from there, you've got Calgary, who might be blowing it up. You've got L.A., you've got Edmonton, you've got Vegas. But then you've got a ton of rebuilding teams. And this is where it comes down to me for the Blues and what Doug Armstrong is looking at and why I would just say it's been an average offseason. You improved offensively compared to what you were at the end of the season by bringing in Kevin Hayes. And I think Kevin Hayes is going to be an asset for this team. Defensively, you couldn't upgrade. So you're running it back with the same defense. That was not good. But the hope, and Doug is pushing all of his chips into the middle on this, is it was a bad year for Krug, for Letty, and for Pareko. And if those three improve, and frankly, Justin Falk also. Falk didn't have a great year until the end of the season. If those four at least are marginally better than what they were last season, then you're competitive with the teams in the West that you should be competitive with. And that's all he wants. The two to three year blueprint that he has said was you're not getting back to championship contention for those three years, but you could get back to playoff contention this upcoming season, but it relies solely on your offense performing better than what they were. And certain guys like Verana and Kapanen and Blay and Hayes, and then everybody that you already got, and then it's on the defense. It's it's so much on the defense to figure this out because Doug can't really do anything else behind it. I, and, and I look at it, and I, I think Lou said it, they could finish anywhere between the second-best team in the Central to fourth-best. Because I, I think that Absolutely. could— I think that could potentially true. I would probably knock it down to more of three to five. But however you want to look at it and how you think they rank in the Central Division, I think the problem with not being able to upgrade the defense— is you do leave yourself to that kind of the unknown of we could be the fifth worst team in the center or fifth best team in the central division. We could be the third best team. I think if they were able to upgrade the defense somehow, some way, I think it added more certainty. And this is the same approach I had with the St. Louis Cardinals in the offseason where it was. Yeah, I looked at the outfield and sure. BK could tell me all about the ceiling that this outfield had. I'm always looking at I'm looking at. Yeah, I'm looking. (laughs) Exactly. I'm looking at the floor of all these players. And you just saw what the floor looks like for the St. Louis Blues with this defensive core. Right. And it's a team that misses the playoffs. Pass. And I don't I'm not convinced that that was just all a down year. I, I could buy if one player had a down year, like if Preco was had a down year last year, I could totally buy of okay, yeah, Preco had a bad year and it, it kind of had a trickle down effect on the rest of the defensive core. Four guys, you're tell you're trying to tell me buy tell, sell me on four guys at the same time had a down year. I don't know. That That's a lot to try and convince me of. Pessimistic? Optimistic. I'm in. Grant's in the middle. That's okay. I'll get you guys on board <laughs> with me in. here. How about this? More likely to happen, the Cardinals' pitching improves next season or the Blues' defense? We'll get that on the other side. More likely to happen, send us yours at 314-399-9646. We've got that on the other side here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. <laughs> BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's more likely to happen. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six. That is our air comfort service text line where you can send us your more likely to happen scenarios. You can also post them on our YouTube page, which we are live on at 101 ESPN STL on YouTube. So make sure you head on over there, post your more likely to happen and make sure you vote for our poll. Uh, could or should the Cardinals re-sign Jordan Montgomery 
this offseason with Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Fellas, I'll start with the one that I teased. More likely to happen. The Cardinals pitching staff in the rotation improves for next season or the Blues defense improves for next season? I will say more likely the Cardinals pitching staff improves next season. I, I, I truly believe, and I know you're, you call me a skeptic on the Blues. You're skeptic of the Cardinals in the offseason. I, I, I truly believe that they're going to change their philosophy. They may not spend like bonkers money like people want, but I do think they're going to make significant changes to this rotation because this isn't like they're going into a year and they went, ah, well, you know, we missed the playoffs, but we were about 500, so we just need little tweaks. This is the third worst or tied for the second worst start they've had in the first 81 games since 1920. So they're going to be making significant changes. I truly believe that. So I'd say more likely the Cardinals improve their rotation. I think I'm with Tanner here, actually, because it's inevitable that there are going to be changes this upcoming season for the Cardinals in their starting rotation and almost inevitable that it can't get worse than this season. No. Right. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. So sure. I think I'm with Tanner here. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's me being optimistic now. Yeah. Um, well, at least you'll live longer. Yeah. For the blues. That's a rumor. Yeah. Their defense really isn't changing from last year, to this upcoming season. It's obviously hinging on whether they play better than they did last season. And I just think it's more likely that the Cardinals will have better changes next season than what they have right now. Then everybody on the blues defensive unit playing better than they did last season. No surprise here. I'm actually going to go the blues. Um, I, I, I think we saw what Lou mentioned there, what Doug Armstrong mentioned too, of bad seasons being the worst. And we saw that from Justin Falk and Colton Pareko. It was very bad and improved at the end of the season. Never got better for Krug, never got better for Letty. Krug went through some injuries. And then you also have to take into the fact that when Marco Scandale is healthy, he does improve that defense. And you're going to be using Scott I don't think they're going to just be using the same six defensemen all season. Tyler Tucker's on a one-way contract. Perunovic is on a one-way contract. Oh, you're saying they're going to do like what the Cardinals do with their outfield where there's too many pieces. They're going to be rotating in and out. That went well for them. I think the Blues defense actually has more talent than that Cardinals outfield. Eh. I think you'll see a better version of Tory Krug, at least on the offensive side of things. I think you'll see more of Tyler Tucker. And I think you'll see a little bit more of Scott Perunovic. And to me... It's not by no means am I saying that this defense is going to be the best defense in the NHL. But what I think that does is it solidifies the major glaring issues that they had last season and emphasizes their offense a little bit more. And that's why I would go. I would go the deep blues defense because I'm not sure that Cardinals pitching really does anything. I'll say this, too. I do think the blues defense is going to get better. Like I, I'm on well, that as well. Get worse, Tanner or Grant. Yeah, you just pulled a BK. Yeah, but at least you're actually here, and so is he. If I would have called you BK, okay, that would have been a problem here. Yeah, you get a little bit of a benefit of the doubt one. there. But T Bone, what do you got for more likely to happen, or Grant, or whoever you are? <laughs> Unbelievable. More more likely to happen. We see Michael McGreevy up on the St. Louis Cardinals this season, or one of the Blues prospects in prospect camp is on the Blues roster for opening night. So Michael McGreevy up. By the trade deadline or up at any time this, this season, season or one of the Blues prospect camp players. I'm going to say more likely that it's the Blues prospect players because there's two guys that I can envision being a part of this team, and it's Zach Dean and Zachary Bolduc. I would lean more towards Dean because he's a centerman and he plays the two-way style. Now he's got to get his equipment figured out. That'll be a very important thing, but... I think there are more guys in front of McGreevy that'll get an opportunity before the end of this season. And next year for the Blues, I could absolutely see them looking at Zachary Dean, who starts in the AHL and says, 
he needs to get a couple of reps up here. So I'll say the Blues. See, but I this was, is for opening night, right? For the yeah, Blues. Yeah. I can see that. I would say more likely it's McGreevy. I, I think McGreevy's going to shot to be in this rotation by the end of July. I, I look at his stuff and look, he's he's gone through a bit of a cold spell recently, but a 397 ERA in Memphis right now in 12 starts and 65 and two thirds innings. And look, he, I'm not saying he's got swing and miss stuff. He has getting hit quite a bit at 10.6 hits per nine. But I can see where the Cardinals decided when they, if they trade or which they probably should trade Montgomery and Jack Flaherty, they say, look, let's figure out what we have in McGreevy. Let's give him a taste of the big leagues. I think it's more like he gets in. I, I don't see Dean and I don't see uh, Balduk being up here. Those are probably the two guys I would say have a r- realistic shot of being on the Blues come opening night. One, I think the McEachern signing shows that they don't think Balduk's ready to go and it kind of bl- adds another layer to him to make the team. Yeah. But two, I, I think when Army said when he was talking about bringing in Hayes uh, when we were in Nashville at the draft, when he was talking to the media, he said something. I can't remember exactly what the quote was, but it was something along the lines of, we think by bringing in Hayes, it allows for allows Dean to have more of a, uh, it was something along more of a natural growth. Yeah. And by that, I think he means, yeah, we want Dean to stay down another year at least before we decide to bring him here. So I, I don't think either of them are going to make the team. It's the comment that Doug Armstrong had about, you know, the life jacket. Like we're going to, we don't want to throw these guys into the ocean and then drown. We're going to pick them up and put them into a smaller pond so that they can swim. Keep an eye on Dean versus Alexandrov because the Blues envision Alexandrov being their fourth line center. If Dean has a better camp, that's where Dean starts the season. And if he struggles, he goes down to the AHL. I don't think so. I also don't think Alexandrov is going to struggle really early on. I think that's going to be more of a situation where Dean gets called up however many games into the season. I don't think it's an opening night move, which is why I'd side with Tanner here probably. Because I think after the trade deadline, when you trade some of your starting pitchers, it's like, what the hell? Who are we going to put in the starting rotation? Let's bring someone up and put them in, see what they do. Yeah. So that's why I'm going to side with Tanner here. Get ready for Zach Thompson, Matthew Liebertor, Dakota Hudson in your rotation mm. before the end of the season. Grant, what do you got for more likely to happen? Let's see. More likely to happen. Dalibor Dvorsky. Becomes Patrick mm. <laughs> I want it. Ooh, okay. So so here's, here's a good one. Dalibor Dvorsky becomes Patrick Kane. Or Zachary Bolduc becomes similar to Nikita Kucherov. And the reason why I say Kucherov is because Bolduc had a play in prospect camp. The same play that Kucherov does on a breakaway where he whiffs on it and it goes five hole. Kind of reminded me of him. So let's just play that game real quick. Okay, so we're going to go future projections. I'd like to point it out that I'm not saying this. Francis brought this one up, but I would say Bolduc being Kucherov. Really? Yeah. I think Dalibor Dvorsky is going to be a perfect two-way centerman. And I don't know if the talent is going to be there, but who I think of is a Patrice Bergeron. Again, I don't know if the talent is there, but I think you'll be talking about Dvorsky in his own zone just as much as you'll be talking about his offense. And because he's a centerman, I don't know if he puts up the numbers that wingers put up. The reason I go with Bolduc is Kucherov was not viewed as a good defensive player. He was all about offense. Until, hey, I've heard that about Bolduc. That's a good point. Uh, until... <laughs> They lost that round in the Carolina Hurricanes, and then that he kind of changed his way. Still a very good player, but defensively gotten better. Sometimes a player needs to hit rock bottom in terms of their defense versus offense before they find it. Alex Ovechkin did this exact same thing. That's why I would go towards Bolduc, because I'll tell people listening now, if you weren't out at prospect camp, the one thing I noticed was Zachary Bolduc has one hell of a shot. He does. He is going to score goals. Comes down to defense, so I would go Bolduc and Kucherov. 
and I'll go with you here too. Sorry, Tanner. I, I was just gonna add on to <laughs> He's that. He's just and, negative about the Blues. <laughs> I was gonna add on to that and More say they're costing. <laughs> watching watching Bolduc defensively at prospect camp, he was floating in and out mm-hmm. of a lot of plays, and it was a little bit lazy defensively. So that's I'll prospect with camp. You Nobody cares. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, no, but I, I agree with you guys. I, I think it's Bolduc just because I what Alex said. It's tough for me to see Dvorsky putting up winger numbers like Patrick Kane. I, I think he's gonna be more of a all-around two-way player than he is to be Could kind be like of a, a Jonathan Taves. Yeah. yeah, maybe more of that comp. If we went that way, maybe I would lean more towards Dvorsky, mm-hmm. but I, I think I would lean Bolduc in this scenario. Yeah, one more. Uh, let's go to Patrick, who uh, put one on our YouTube live page. More likely to happen, the Blues move both Verana and Kapanen, or they re-sign both of them. I would say more likely they move both of them, just because I, I don't know if they're going to bring both back and if Verona has a really good year he could really get a payday when the cap goes up next year which is projected to do so I, I just think it's it's not so much that I don't think the Blues would like both of them that they wouldn't mind bringing both back I think it's just going to be tough with the way things are where, where their cap situation will be so if this was more likely one of them is back or both are moved I would probably lean the other way but because it's both being brought back I say more likely both get dealt I think so, too, because also at that point after next season, you're hoping that your prospects sort of come up and you kind of create space for them. And with both Verona and Kapanen here at the same time, I think that's a little bit difficult. And I don't think uh, it's worth it to sign both of them when you want your prospects to have that time on the big league roster. Yeah, I know it's not an option, but I would say one gets moved and the other gets re-signed. But because I'm going down this scenario, I'd say both get moved because if you're competitive, you're not. And I don't think you're re-signing them. But if you're out of it, you're going to garner first-round picks for both of those players, specifically Verona. Verona's going to get you a hell of a return if he has the season that they hope he does. Kapanen might be in the middle. If I had to lean towards one, Kapanen would be the guy that they re-sign and Verona they let walk. But I would say in this scenario, it's more likely that both get traded. Grant Francis, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. Appreciate all of the more likely-to-happen scenarios. Coming up next, the Cardinals... Despite their struggles, there's one glaring hole in their struggles, and it comes to how tight games truly are. That, and can the Cardinals accomplish what we saw the Miami Marlins have against them yesterday? We'll get into all of that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, that uh, excitement and cheering wasn't on the Cardinals side. It was on the Marlins side. That was from Monday's game where Andre Pallante blew things up in the seventh inning and the Cardinals fell 5-4. to four. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. The Cardinals have issues this season. There's no denying that. But an issue that might be more glaring than others is their inability to win one-run games. They're 8-17 and 17 this season in one-run games. And if you think of the scenarios where they've blown leads, like we just heard on that Monday game, or if you think of the scenarios where the Cardinals' offense just dies and they can't get any runs and they fall, one nothing, 2 nothing, 2-1, 
That has plagued this Cardinals team. And it seems to be a different narrative every outcome. So you're 8 and 17. Those 17 losses aren't all because the bullpen has blown up. It's been because the offense hasn't been able to score as many runs when you're pitching, your starting pitching has been really good, or it's been because the defense falls apart, or it's been because you've had a base running blunder. But one-run games have plagued this Cardinals team. And if you're going to be a team, just like when you talk about hockey, if you're going to be a team that wants to win the Stanley Cup, you got to win tight games. If you want to be a playoff team, despite how bad the NL Central is, you're going to have to figure out how to win close games. And right now, there's holes all over the field for this team when things get tight. Yeah, their their inability to win these one-run games is, and look, I'm not saying like if they were 17-8 and eight instead of 8-17, and 17, they'd be a playoff team, but they'd be a hell of a lot closer and in the conversation to be still fighting in this NL Central. And I honestly don't even think they're in the race in the NL Central anymore, and this is a bad division. So I, it comes down to what you said. Fundamentally, they have just really struggled this year. They always find a way to have that either that one inning, like you just heard in our return, where they go to the bullpen and the bullpen doesn't do its job. They have one air maybe in an inning that allows things to snowball on them. They walk two batters in an inning. Like everything that can go wrong for a reason why you could lose a one run game, the Cardinals find a way to do it. And when you look back at this team, last year they were 26 and 17 in one run games. That's kind of what you expect. Is you're going to be a little bit better than 500 one run games if you're a good baseball team. That's what last year's team was. When you look at this year's team, they just continue to find ways to, when you look back on that game, you go, man, we lost that game, and why was it? It was because something, whether it is what the offense not coming through, the pitching making mistakes, base running mistakes, like there's always something that you can look back on and go, man, this is why they lost that one-run game. And for the Cardinals, that's disappointing because when you talk about one-run games, it is about fundamentals. And what has always been the Cardinals' way, it's good, sound, fundamental baseball. And I'm not blaming the manager for this. I know a lot of people on the text line will go, Coward. well, that's the manager. It's not the manager. It's partially on the roster with the defense that they have, but it's also on the players. The players have to be better. Nolan Arnauto's defense has not been good this year. Yeah, but if you're going to call out Tyler O'Neill for dogging it, why aren't you going to call out for somebody not making the clean ground ball play? I am. I just called Nolan no, Arnauto the manager. Oh, well, that's oh, a Oh, it's not different. his job, isn't it? No, it's not his job. That but seems to be hypocritical if you're holding one person to a standard and I not mean, the other. Why is Brewery not calling out crew for letting guys tap the puck in from behind just him? doesn't no, name them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I, I think when you look at them, if they can, if the Cardinals are able to clean up, and again, I'm, I'm talking more for 2024 than I am this year, if they're able to clean up these small mental mistakes, they're a team that can get back into things in 2024 once they overhaul the rotation because – they don't clean up, clean up these mistakes. They're going to struggle in one-run games again next year. And that, and that is the thing, like, when you look at and we talk about, hey, what do you want to see in the second half? I, I want to see cleaner baseball from the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe you can get really hot and maybe you can get yourself back into this race, even if you sell off pieces. But the, the number one thing for me in the second half is they've got to play more fundamentally sound baseball and get back to their roots. <laughs> You mentioned the the bullpen, though, and this doesn't have anything to do with the rotation. The rotation is a different entity. The rotation problem is games are out of reach before you even enter the second inning. The bullpen is the other one. And look, the offense has its issues. Runners in scoring position are a part of this, this, this close game that you're unable to hold on to. But Monday's a perfect example. And I would say probably 30 to 40% of those 17 losses in one run game has been because your bullpen has blown it up. Whether it was Gallegos, whether it was Helsley or whether it's been Palante, everybody's had those issues, but that is more of the issue in terms of you going out in the off season and finding a way to fix your bullpen. Because if just Monday's game for a perfect example, I mean, you're sitting in that game four to two, you scored the run before they scored three runs. 
when it's four to two, your bullpen, as soon as you go away from your starting pitcher, should shut that down. Miles Michaelis pitched incredible in that game for St. Louis. But what happened? You went to the wrong guy in the bullpen. And frankly, it doesn't have to just be Palante because there's about seven guys that you go to the wrong guy. So, yeah, you've got to overhaul your your bull, your rotation this offseason and fix it. But you're going to have to figure out your bullpen, too, because you can't go through a season with one guy that you rely on when you get close games. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you. But I, I think when you're looking at one-run games, yes, the bullpen is very crucial. But I, I think for the Cardinals this year, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's just the way that I kind of feel when I'm watching the games, I always feel like after a game when they've lost it, like Monday's game, for example, that was on the bullpen. But it always feels like there's always something else that I can point to and go, man, they, if they don't make that defensive error or if they don't make that base running miscue. I, I know it wasn't a one-run one game or one-run loss yesterday because, man, they got destroyed. But <laughs> – Willis Contreras getting picked off at second base. That yeah. can't happen. You can't get picked off at second base. The pitcher's got to literally turn all the way around to throw to that base. So it, it's just all these small mistakes that the Cardinals keep making that is so uncardinals like that they've got to clean up in the second half. And again, I'm not saying more for this year. I'm saying more for next year because you're right. They're going to have to overhaul the rotation, the bullpen, so they can have better chances in every baseball game next year. But one-run games to me – come down to, yes, the bullpen that you're talking about, that middle relief role potentially, and also having trust in your setup men, which they've kind of lost, but also playing fundamental baseball. And that is the thing that is maybe most frustrating is how it's disappeared. And look, I understand because I saw in the text line 314, could it be that we have people playing out of position? Yes, there is an aspect to it and how that can affect your defense, but some of the mistakes they are making are not guys out of position. It is some of their top players. It is base running mistakes. It it is your sure-handed fielders. Like, Everybody has made a small mistake at some point this year that you can look back on and go, man, that just killed them in this game. So that's the one other thing that they're going to have to fix. The other thing they're going to have to fix is talent evaluation going into this trade deadline. Because what we saw yesterday with Jesus Lizardo on the mound for the Miami Marlins is exactly what the Cardinals need to accomplish this trade deadline. And if you don't know, Lazardo was acquired from Oakland by Miami in 2021 for Starling Marte. Starling Marte was a pending free agent. They traded him away. They got a young pitcher back who was not pitching well. He was 22 years old for Oakland, 59 innings at a 4.12 ERA. That's a young pitcher that looks like, man, he was supposed to be good, but it hasn't panned out. He got to Miami, struggled for one year, and then has been lights out since. If there's one thing that this Cardinals need to accomplish between now and August 1st, it's what Miami did. You traded away a player who had uh, upside for a team that was playing well, and you got back somebody that you thought we can make better than what he looks right now. And they did. Cardinals have to do that. It's the one area that I just don't trust with this Cardinals team, though, is finding a pitcher that you believe has upside that the other team hasn't tapped yet. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do at the deadline because I, to your point on Jesus Lazardo, when I was watching him pitch yesterday, and, and then I found out when I was like kind of researching, I was like, man, how did they get this guy? This guy looks awesome, <laughs> and they acquired him for a free agent to be in Starling Marte. And look, the Cardinals don't have an outfielder that's probably giving up that's free agent to be, but they've got rotation guys like Montgomery should get them a pretty good haul, especially the way he's been pitching. Maybe Jack gets you a solid like shot in the dark. Paul DeYoung might get you something guys. if he at least continues to hit. Maybe Paul DeYoung. But Montgomery's a guy I kind of circle. Jordan Hicks too. Jordan Hicks is going to yeah. get a haul if they decide to move on from him. They need to they need to find guys that have upside that you're looking at at in in pitching. Whether it is a guy that's in Double A that has the same kind of upside that they view Tink Hintz as, or it is the guy that you're talking about like Jesus Lazardo who was up in the big leagues and was struggling, but still has that ceiling of 
hey, if we if we can acquire that guy, maybe we can tinker with something and he can become a guy that can become a solid number two for us at minimum that's got some swing and miss stuff. So they, they've got to try and emulate what the Marlins did. And, look, I don't think they're going to end up with a Jesus Luzardo because he was a number one prospect for the Oakland A's in their system. I don't think you're going to end up with something like that. Maybe you do. We'll see. Maybe Moe's able to pull something off there. But you got to be able to, to your point, evaluate pitchers, young pitchers, and go, okay, that guy's got some swing and miss, and we think when we bring him here, we can develop him. Or when he gets here in St. Louis, our, our coaching staff at the major league level can help him get to that next level. Yeah, well, you got uh, two things. You got two pieces right now that a lot of playoff teams are going to covet come trade deadline time in Jordan Hicks and Jordan Montgomery, especially if they continue to pitch this way, capitalize on that, get it done because you're going to have to, otherwise you're going to be chasing your tail an awful lot this off season. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll hit the rewind next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. fun today as we are back from our vacation and uh, headed into the all-star break for the Cardinals alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. Appreciate everybody also being with us on our new YouTube page. It started today, so make sure you subscribe to it at 101 ESPN STL. Tell your friends about it and be with us on YouTube just as much as you are with us on your radio. Appreciate all of uh, you joining in also with the text and the comments and our polls as we have officially closed both polls. The first one, Jordan Montgomery uh, asking if the Cardinals should re-sign him. Out of 175 votes, 63% of you said yes, Jordan Montgomery should be a priority for the Cardinals in the offseason. And the one that we're going to rewind it with, Doug Armstrong. How would you grade his offseason if no more moves are taking place between now and the start of the season? And 50% of you went with a B. Victory lap. I'm going to repeat that one more time. 50% of you went with a B. Tanner, your thoughts? Well, you know, I'm glad you voted. I, I really appreciate that you voted. <laughs> Just say you were wrong. But, uh, You're smart. I, I'm dumb. Well, no, there's, there's no right or wrong You're answer. You're good looking. I, I'm not. Look, I can understand where people come from when they're looking at the a B for the St. Louis Blues. If you're viewing it as a transition year, yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. I think a B is definitely then where you would go. I, I The reason I would give Doug Armstrong a C so far on his offseason, again, he could pull a bunny out of his hat, and we've got a defenseman tomorrow when we start our show Darn at 11 a.m., and if that's the case, then my grade's going to change. But if this is the offseason, and I think it is, for the St. Louis Blues where they sign Mackenzie McEachern to a two-year deal for league minimum, and they acquire Kevin Hayes in a trade at 50% retention from Philadelphia, I, I think it's just a C. And the reason I say it's a C was – the rumor that they were interested in Sandheim. And also, too, I think even if this was a retool year, it was clear that one of the needs for the St. Louis Blues was to find a way to retool the defense some way, somehow. And I don't want to hear the, oh, well, they couldn't move money out. Then you got to find a way. That's the GM's job, as, as Craig Button told us on our station before the NHL draft. And I, I think he, I think Army missed the mark on that. He wasn't able to move money out. They were connected to Sandheim to try and improve the blue line. They couldn't get it done. And they kind of, they didn't have a, 
clear pivot, or at least it doesn't look like it right now that they didn't have a pivot for if they couldn't get Sandheim in and move money out and change this defense. So for me, sure, you addressed adding a top nine forward that you were looking for in Kevin Hayes. He didn't fit in the window that they were telling us in age range, but no, you know, he that, did not. that's the smoke and mirrors that you can get when it comes to yeah. this stuff, stuff like this. He, and you sign Mackenzie McEachern and that's it. So he, like, I, I would say it's a C. It's an average off season for the Blues. Here's the thing with that too. The, the part that the reason I give him a higher grade than a C is because he did move money out. The problem was the player nixed it. He found a way to do the well, impossible. He, money out. he found the way to do the impossible, though. He had a deal in place, but the player nixed it. But he it. did. He didn't. He didn't move. A. He didn't move money out, and B. He didn't do the impossible because he really? didn't get it done. But he did. The deal was agreed upon no, until it, Tory Krug nixed it. If it's done, it. Krug's in Philadelphia, and you can say that but that's, that's on where the Krug, player nixed it. If but, Doug, but, but that's on Army because he gives him the no trade. Absolutely, clause. and that's the problem right now. But Doug Armstrong did it. But it didn't work. And now you're backed into the corner with the decision that you made with these defensemen and the no trade clauses. And it's why he's saying they have to be better than what they were last year. So for me, you needed to address another area. And that was the centerman. And I thought they did that with Kevin Hayes. You brought in size. You brought in some maturity. But none of that matters if your defense has the same season. If your defense has the same season, then yeah, we'll sit here and we'll butcher Doug Armstrong for the no trade clauses that he offered these individuals. But now when you know they're not going anywhere you're going to have to hope that they get better. And that's why they did a new defensive coach. That's why they're coming up with different strategies on the ice. But frankly, it falls right into the play with the the blueprint that Doug Armstrong and the timeline that Doug Armstrong put out there with his roster. I guess for me, I'm just at peace with where the Blues are right now because of the way you came into the offseason leveling your expectations on what they could do. We knew yeah. that the no trade clauses were there and that it was unlikely that these defensemen were going to get moved. We knew that coming into it. Going into next season, I'm not saying that the season is a wash. The Blues could still be competitive. But like you were saying, Alex, those defensemen have to play up to their ability. Mm -hmm. Thing is, is that every team goes through these retools, rebuilds, whatever you want to call it. It's just, just a matter of how, how long, long it's yep. going to be. You look at teams like the Buffalo Sabres. You look at teams like the Arizona Coyotes who can never get out of a rebuild. It doesn't seem like that for the Blues. And it's, that's... And that yeah. comes down to having talent on your roster sure. and not having anything. Like Buffalo lost everything when O'Reilly and Heiko left and they had to rebuild it all. St. Louis at least has the talent there. It's just a matter of finding ways to incorporate that talent. If you missed any of the conversation, though, today, we chatted with Lou, Lou Korak of NHL.com, talking prospect camp and about that offseason. And then, of course, we chatted with Katie Wu about Wayno struggles, the Wilson Contreras stuff, and, of course, the Cardinals' final couple of games out in Miami. You could check all of that out up on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com. And, by the way, thank you to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And, by the way, stick around because Kevin Hayes, speaking of the offseason for the Blues, the new Blues centerman is going to join Jamie Rivers and Anthony Stalter and Andrew Marsh on the fast lane coming up at 2.30. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Make sure you log on and subscribe to our YouTube page at 101 ESPN STL. For Grant Francis, for Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk to you tomorrow from 11 to 2 here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.